I feel so out of the loop. Because uh, it, it's been a while. It's been so long. And not only that, but I found this out. I didn't, you know, I, I didn't look at our calendar. It's just, I've been, I've been kind of like in shock with all the things that we've been doing this first couple of weeks of summer. But we actually have camping again this weekend. So I'm going to have to do double research and then we'll have to do a double episode next Monday. Oh my goodness. I know. So I'm, I'm letting you know right now that that's, uh, <laughs> that's the situation. Oh man, that's crazy. We're getting old, man. And in, uh, <sighs> in, uh, to continue the old person lingo and things that we have going on, I have, I have what's called, uh, I, I'm feeling like I've got the sour stomach <laughs> because, <laughs> uh, yeah, man, uh, I don't know. I guess I've been so busy. I've been eating very, very, very poorly the last couple days, uh, yeah. couple, maybe a couple of weeks. And I think it's catching up to me. So I've got the sour stomach. Well, do you eat uh, at your desk? Yeah, dude. Yeah. How's shit get done if I don't eat at my desk? I, I know. I know. I, I I would do the same thing. I mean, obviously, things have changed now. But before, I would have my hourly snacks. You know, I'd have my string cheese or my nuts or something like at my desk because I don't I didn't want to go outside. And that it gives you bad tendencies because you want to just then you associate working with eating. So it's like, no, well, I need my snack now. Yep. Because I'm so used to having it, but oh man! Well, you work on computers, man, and you've got a double you got a double monitor setup, right? No, man, I went down to one. I got one. So you got the twenty-seven inch yep. big boy. God, yeah, I, look I really en- I, I prefer it. It feels weird to have two monitors now. It feels yeah. like too much. Yeah, I used. I've gone down. My uh, my admin even walked in and said, you know, hey, we got this grant money that, you know, you can get new. And I, I ordered new monitors for the students and we got new machines and stuff. But he goes, get a second monitor for you. And I said, no, I'm fine with my little 15-inch Well, what? Pro. 15 yeah, inch? Oh, 15-inch yeah, MacBook Pro? It. No, dude. Yep, I'm fine with it. I've worked it out. I've got the I've got the keystrokes down. I can do, you know, multiple tasks oh, at once. Oh, yeah. Don't no, worry I, about see, it, See, I man. couldn't do that. Like, at, when I get to work, <laughs> my 15-inch goes into, like, I have a thing called, a, uh, I think, a hinge dock. And so yeah. I uh, clamshell my MacBook Pro right into that, and it functions as a tower that sits right behind my 27-inch monitor. Yeah, and that's what I. Uh, that's how I use my uh, yeah. my MacBook Pro at work. External keyboard, well, part of the reason mouse, clamshell. Part of the reason why I went to a single was because uh, the way that I had my previous setup was I had a monitor in front of me, a 24-inch monitor in front of me, and then off to my right I had another 24-inch monitor which is bad. And this is why, because I'm focusing straight. And then I would look to the right when I needed to read my emails or something. Yeah. And what happened is in my left eye only, I developed astigmatism and it's, it's slight, but it's oh. what made me, I, I was thought, Hey man, I love an astigmatism. I believe so. That's what, oh. that's what my optometrist said. Mm. Uh, but I went in, it's like I would drive home. It, it was worse. It, it would be at its worst in winter time when I would be driving home in the dark and I'd have a tough time seeing or trying to focus. You don't do these things, you know. You you, you take it for granted that your your mind automatically focuses on these billboards and signs and stuff. But like you have to actually start focusing on it. Then you get a headache. And so I went and saw my optometrist. Um, I didn't even actually have an optometrist before that, but I found out that it's actually an op- optometrist and an optician. And the difference is, this is kind of a cool relationship. So the optometrist is the dude that does all of like the analysis and then he looks at your eye in detail and, and gives you what your vision rating is. And then the op- optician is the, is the guy that gets all the, <laughs> like he's the second in line and okay. he gets, 
he's the one that basically outfits you in the glasses. So I go in, my guy is, is Michael. I go see, you know, I like to talk to my doctors and address them by their first name, even though they've earned that doctor uh, title. You know, I'll go, hey, Michael, how you doing? So I go talk to Michael and he gives me this, you know, he goes, come in here. Um, you know, it, I love it when people love their jobs because it just makes it so much more enjoyable when you're getting these services. And so yeah. he goes in there and sits me down, is just real, real with me, asking me about my life and all this stuff, and then gives me my vision assessment. And he says, yeah, you've got mild astigmatism. Don't worry about it. Um, we'll get you outfitted. It's going to be a very light prescription. So then he basically, this is kind of like one of those things where, you know, you got the little fish that hang out on top of the shark. And it's not like, it's not a parasitic relationship. It's, it's like, it's very symbiotic. And so Michael hands me off to um, Todd, the optician. And the optician is like, Michael always looks professional. He's got his suit, not the suit, but he's got the, he's got the dress shirt and the tie on. And then he hands me over to Todd, uh, who's like in like the Hawaiian shirt. And he's got, you know, looser fitting pants on, just kind of like the cool guy hanging out. Let's do some, um, let's take a look <laughs> at some frames and stuff. So he hands yeah. me over to Michael or to Todd. And I don't know if you've ever been, it doesn't sound like you have any issues with vision, but no, I was you're sitting there. It's a big decision to, to buy glasses. Not only are they expensive, but you know, this is going to like define you for the next couple of years until your insurance allows you to get new frames. So I'm sitting there going from station to station and he's, it's just Todd and I basically out front. Um, he put down his little magazine for, uh, he was looking at boats. So apparently he's doing well. And <laughs> so he's talking with me about glasses and, and, He's showing me different things. He's like asking me what kind of style I want. And I go, I think I want wireframes, uh, but I always, I always thought I'd look good in horn rim glasses. So he's showing me all these different styles and going through. And you don't want to like lose track. You go from station to station. They've got the different makers, models, and all that stuff. And so you start getting like a handful of these things together, but you don't want to put them back on the rack because you're like, I want to take a look at what this looks like later. So I'm like, dude, Todd, what what can I do with all these things? And he goes, oh, uh, you can just put them over there. That's the table for glasses. <laughs> this yeah. is Jimmy Eat Pod. <laughs> oh, that was good. Feels good to be back in the saddle. Oh man, it does. It does. I missed it. If I if you spend if you take a week off, yeah, it puts you out of a out of. I'm in a funky mood, man. Yeah, man. It doesn't feel uh, right. Yeah. I uh we we almost had beers today and I opted to take a nap. I felt like a million bucks after the nap. I'm so glad. You said that nap was what was the word you used? Um, I don't know. What did I say? Transformative? I don't know. That sounds like I don't know. Right. Yeah, fantastic. It was just it wasn't like that was a great nap. It was like that nap was on point or perfect. Yeah, so I'm sure. glad yeah. I'm glad you took the nap, man. I'm I'm glad you uh refreshed yourself. Yeah, it was nice. I put my AirPods in. I put I use the Calm app. Um, it comes with my Kaiser uh, insurance and uh, and just uh, what did I put Bamboo Forest on? And it was terrific. Oh, so that's nice, dude. We have housekeeping. Um, yes, we do. So I, I can't believe I I guess it's been this long. We found all kinds of stuff archived from the Jimmy Eat World website. So um we're going to do we, that. You did. You you came across it. You started showing me these this treasure trove of uh yeah. <laughs> like old information. And it kept, yeah. you kept so going that's going to be very exciting to start digging into and give us some more stuff to talk about on like, you know, static prevails and stuff like that where we are like, I don't know, I, we talked about all the songs on this album. What else are we going to say? Right. Um, so that's exciting. That's going to be an exciting uh place to dig through. I I've already forgotten. It's been so long since I did the research for this episode thinking we were going to do two episodes last week. Right. Um that uh 
that uh, now uh, I've forgotten. I'm pretty sure I have information this episode that I pulled from this website. So uh, or from this archive uh, next, dude, we never played our raid DJs from last week on the kill episode. Oh, we and didn't, huh? No. <laughs> and I didn't notice till the third time listening through to that behemoth that uh, I hint at kill caustic yet. I never played my kill caustic uh, mashup. So uh, if you uh, will allow me, I'm going to pull up my uh, caustic eat world. I'm going to go ahead and <laughs> copy this link and paste this to you and uh, and share caustic. Yeah, you only played world. the little stab, that audible stab, right? Yeah, with with the hopes of going back to it. And I remember telling you before we recorded the episode, this works way better than it should have. So this is from AFI's album, December Underground, produced by Jerry Finn, RIP to a real one. Okay, here we go. This is Caustic Eat World. time drums with uh with kill it's kind of yeah. cool <laughs> yeah it gives it way more edge yeah uh did you have a rave dj from i looked the back i did not i did not actually. oh okay cool so that works out well. um how about short and sweetness did you listen to uh james your host's take you know what i did actually have a chance to listen to it uh and it was really well done i loved the the terms that he had used, especially with the bridge, right? The finest bridge probably ever written by uh, a human being in rock music, right? Um, yeah, <laughs> was he, he, he felt like it's like a, a spoiled love song, and I think that's a great way of putting it, especially in the bridge because that's the point when you 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 basically read the story of just how this person's being thrown around, and now it's you know everything it was all for naught, and uh, it's just like this really sad. Once that the drums crash in, the music kind of slows down a little bit for the bridge. It all, but you, it, it kind of like the seas part, and you see what's actually going on. Um, wow, I loved his observation. Yeah, man, uh, thank you so much for doing all of that editing and clipping in and audio phasing because I was <laughs> out. I I was off the grid, and so I, you know, when I would get in within cell range, I would see that notifications like, Oh, I've updated this file. You know, this one's going out. I've, I've changed the the title on the, the WordPress backend. And I'm like, what is going on? And dude, you did so much. I just wanted to thank you. Oh yeah, um, man. My pleasure. All of that stuff. Yeah. But yes, I loved hearing what James had to say about that. Uh, good. I'm glad that you enjoyed it. Uh, I, I thought, how could I possibly make a long episode longer? And that <laughs> was, uh, that was the solution. So, um, happy to help. 
happy to pitch in when and where I can. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, and now I'm actually buying a T-shirt from James' website because I realize he's got merch. So I'm buying a Blink and You'll Miss It T-shirt. As Support we speak. your local artists. Yeah, man. It's funny. It's called the MTSTDM. Like, let me let me read you what the what the T-shirt says. So it says the Mark, Tom, Scott, Travis, Matt, David, Shane, Craig, Carol, and Alex show <laughs> because those are all the members of Blink and side projects. Yeah, so you got even Carol Heller gets a shout out in there. So that's pretty sh- that's pretty cool. Um, so I thought that was a very clever shirt um, designed after the Mark, Tom, and Travis show logo. The Mark, Tom, Scott, Travis, Matt, David, Shane, Craig, Carol, and Alex show. Terrific. Uh, so that is Blink and You'll Miss It. Finally, um, big episode again this week. Uh, uh, you'll uh, you'll see that uh, on this episode, we have Greg Simpson from This Might Be Podcast uh, as our guest. He was very excited to come and talk Table for Glasses. And next week, I'm very excited for the guest. I'm just going to say that. Right. Yeah. So, uh, somebody we've definitely wanted to have on the show since the beginning, one hundred percent. Yes. Literally, the only other person (laughs) I talked to about doing this podcast beside you and my wife. What a get! What a get! (laughs) And couldn't have been more kind. Greg is returning to the show, and his wife didn't come with him. So, (laughs) Uh, uh, you know, uh, stick around for Greg this week. Next week, very excited. So, um, table for glasses. Any more housekeeping? No, no, no. That's it, man. Table for Glasses from Clarity Trek 1 of 13, released February 23rd, 1999. Mark Trombino and Jimmy Eat World produced at Sound City in Clear Lake Audio. Written and performed by Jimmy Eat World, sung by Jim. Susie Katayama returns doing the cello and string arrangements, along uh, uh, helping Jim with the string arrangements on this one. Uh, it is a capital release with a notable high note of G4 and F-sharp 4. Notable low notes of E3 and D3. We do have a demo for this one, which is a big get. It only just hit the airwaves but a year ago. Um, they've played it 49 times in concert. First time this cannot be true is September 2nd, 2001 uh, at Lupo's Heartbreak Hotel in Providence, Rhode Island. Most recently played February 12th, 2021 at the Ice House in Phoenix, Arizona for the Tempe Sessions. It's a D major key. It's a 10B Camelot. It's four minutes, 22 seconds long with a 122 BPM. <gasps> Justin, do you want to get into lyrics? Yeah, let's do this, man. Uh, before we jump into lyrics, I did want to say, just to get a little personal here, I've mentioned this before on a couple of other episodes. This song, uh, in particular, reminds me of my grandma. Uh, and the reason why is because when she was going through her health issues, because our family lived in the same city, we all took turns watching you know, watching over her, basically. And, and some of us would stay overnight. And uh, and I was one of the ones that would stay overnight. My nights had changed over the the year or two that we were kind of doing this uh, you know, this this uh, watching over of her. And um, once once everything was cool, she was down. Uh, she was in bed. Then the house was quiet. I would get out my 2007 MacBook, and then I would do freelance work um, at at one of the the dinner tables or something. And this was the album that I would always start with. Uh, and I looked again, I think I've, I've called this number out. This, this number doesn't seem like a lot, but table for glasses, uh, last played February 18th of 2016 at 306 PM. I have 101 plays. So there were at least 101 
evenings that I sat down wow. and uh, and played this, you know, and I would sit that sit there and go through, a, you know, a couple of hours worth of work. Maybe I'd listen to it a couple of times through. But so this particular song has a very special place, especially with that, the organ intro or the this that whatever that synth is um, at the very beginning. Uh, so anyway, it's just it, it triggers these wonderful memories that I have of that time when when we were just the family was all kind of banded together and everything. So anyway, thanks for letting me take that little aside there. Um, Absolutely. I, I, yeah, I'm glad you. Uh, yeah, I'm glad you recounted that again. Yes, it's been a while. Yeah, it has. It has. And this is the time I felt like it was really due. So here we go. Let's go through these lyrics, which there's not actually if you look on song meanings, there's not a lot of lyrics. Uh, <laughs> no. <laughs> But now just, I believe it's because they pulled it from the liner notes are written the way that they're written on uh, song meetings. Genius sort of lays it out a little bit more um, with right. verse, chorus, verse two, exactly. and chorus, bridge and all, all that and, stuff. But um, yeah, the layout that, that in the, fleshes uh, it out. But yeah, you're right. Yeah, The it, layout it, in the album liner notes is uh, just a, a paragraph, like a straight yeah. up like. Five and for, for almost four and a half minutes, um, I mean, Jim does sing these these. Uh, the lyrics are drawn out, but it's just one of those songs where the the audible um, the, the guitar, the synth or the piano in the background, even the drums. I mean, they're not dragged out, but the way that they're played is so just uh, expanded and drawn out and and just let loose that the, the lyrics follow that suit. And so when he's saying sweep the dirty stairs, it's not like he's saying sweep the dirty stairs. He draws it out and says sweep the dirty yeah and that that draws it out to almost four and a half minutes so there's not a lot to go through lyrically but uh it is still an absolutely beautiful song so we start verse one with sweep the dirty stairs the ones i waited on now i know that this is one of the songs that that jim has come out and actually given his interpretation or the actually the the reason or the Mm -hmm. the which we'll talk inspiration. about. Yeah. yeah, the inspiration behind this song. So I'm going to take it as if I hadn't really looked at that, even though I think over the years I've read it a couple of times. But so I'm going to take this from kind of trying to be clean here. So sweep the dirty stairs, the ones I waited on. And I think he sees an individual cleaning or sweeping some dirty stairs that he was he was previously standing or waiting on. I don't know if this is uh, looking at something where he was standing on a street corner um, and that's why he was waiting for somebody previously a couple of days before. But now there's somebody sweeping those dirty stairs. Uh, could have been waiting for somebody else. Could have been sitting there having a cigarette. I don't know. Uh, second half of the verses. This is just for me. I felt it watching her. So he felt as though he was like she was putting on this show for him. Um, as in she knew he was watching her, even though she's not necessarily looking at him. She knows that he's his, he's her captivated audience. And uh, that's what he felt by the way that she was performing this act of a sweeping or cleaning or whatever it is that she's doing um, on these stairs. So right now it sounds like this, the narrator is focused in on this performance or this act that's being performed in front of him. And the chorus then comes in with, and it happens too fast to make sense of it, make it last. And I think he's trying to find some kind of unique beauty in this odd sequence of events that are unfolding before him, but it's all happening too fast for him to interpret it. You know, if he could sit there for maybe 10 or 15 minutes, he might be able to write down a couple of notes and say, I think I see what they're trying to do here. 
this is what they're trying to demonstrate, or this is the message that they're trying to convey. But because all of this stuff is happening at once, he can't interpret it. And he's just saying, look, this it's, it's all happening too fast. I can't make sense of this. And I think that's part of what we're supposed to get from this, is there's an act or a performance going on, but what's actually happening is maybe we just can't interpret it and we have to allow it to be uninterpreted or or let it live in the let moment. it be yeah let it be what it is this is the 1999 version of don't hold your cell phone up at the show just enjoy and live <laughs> exactly in the yeah you don't have to have an answer you don't have to have a label for it so again then they reiterate it happens too fast to make sense of it make it last now i will say it, in both genius and song meanings uh they leave out from what is in the liner notes and he doesn't sing it this way but i love seeing these differences he says it happens too fast to make sense of it period next sentence capital t to make it last oh um which is just uh, it, it it's exactly the same sentiment he's uh-huh. like putting an apostrophe in the middle of a sentence apparently uh, 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 uh basically um right but uh it's just interesting to see these little changes so yeah uh and then we go into verse two here where he sings where do you intend to go with your dirty dress and this dress, which I'm assuming is a light color. If you can actually see that it's dirty. So I think that Jim mentions it's a woman wearing a white dress in this story. So the white dress is ruined for the evening, at least. And where does she intend to go with the dress? I mean, does she expect to keep working? Is her shift over? Does she have a date after this? Why would you use your dress to clean dirty stairs? Right. And and again, I think now he's, he's starting to feel himself getting caught up in that moment again of trying to analyze this too much. So let's see what he says in the second half here is like, and I think this is, did you want to say something before I get into the second half of the verse? Yeah, I, he doesn't say that whole thing right that way, right? Doesn't no, he, he doesn't. say, where do you intend to go with dirty dress? We can listen to it. Um, that whole I think line. Just says, where do you intend to go with dirty dress? It could. Yeah. I mean, it, what do the liner notes say? Uh, liner notes say the same thing to go with your dirty dress, but I yeah. just don't think he says the word you're in there. We can listen to it if you want. Yeah, let's take a listen. Here we go. All right. So I'm going to pick a spot right about, let's go one minute in. Love that harmony. Forgot about all the little breaks. There's Suzy Katayama in there. Yeah. <laughs> the beautiful cello. Or that sounds like a violin in there. And then Zach bringing those drums, man. right and it Weird. makes sense the way they sing it <laughs> yeah oh yeah absolutely and when it, me reading it it didn't even make sense and i thought you know maybe it's because i'm reading it so fast but right you know going through it so yeah where do you intend to go with dirty dress uh and it, it fits i think it, having your in there would have just thrown off the meter in there a little oh, bit yeah. not have the same kind of feeling yeah so thank you for noting that um sure yeah 
And I'm glad so, yeah, you did. let's this, hit the second half of that line. And I think the second half of the verse is a very, very important couple of lines here because this is reiterated in the bridge later on. Lead my skeptic sight to the table and the light. And like the skeptic sight, I think is that is um, that perspective of trying to analyze things and and uh, just making it. Things have to have some kind of association or explanation behind them. That's his perspective right now. So lead my skeptic side to the table in the light. Let me see the beauty in all of this. Don't let me get caught up in the trivial aspects of what's actually happening. Um, This person is just overanalyzing it. And uh, he wants to be able to take himself out of that mindset and just really experience it. Like you said, live in the moment and let it be what it is right now. And so... After that verse, then we go into the chorus again. This time, I don't think he says, and it happens too fast. He just says, it happens too fast twice in a row. Uh, And again, I didn't hear him saying, to make sense of it, to make it last. So again, maybe Jim's taking that in the recording session. Just like, we got to make it. Correct, yeah. I think there's an an implied apostrophe there. Yes, (laughs) yeah. Uh, After the chorus, then we go into the bridge, where now things really pick up. This, This song has... Has, and, and I think droned is a, is a poor word to describe how it's moved. It's sort of, it's flowed from this little trickle up to this. Now we've reached this point where there's almost like a flood. All of the music is in there. The instruments have kind of crescendoed. And now we get into this bridge that is so beautiful. And it goes like this. It goes, lead my skeptic sight. Lead my skeptic sight, not asking of me anything. Take my doubtful approach in trying to interpret this and let me find an answer. Um, Not asking of me anything, right? Uh, Say nothing about what it means without anybody telling me how I should feel. So don't tell me what it's supposed to mean. Don't influence my perception. I'll find out how I feel on my own. Um, if I even do, if if this person even does find a resolution in this performance that's you know going on before him, and then again for a third time, what's labeled as the outro, we have "Lead my skeptic sight to the table and the light." So that second half of verse two is reiterated here for the the outro, and I think they're just saying, "Take this cynical outlook and remind me of this moment with the table, the light. The light might actually be like the epiphany." It could be a literal and a figurative thing where um, there could be a light that's in this scene. Yeah. And or it could be the light is oh, I see I see the light. I, I've realized yeah. what this is. Yeah. Uh, so there you have it. Those are the lyrics. Very slow. Um, it's a it's a somber tune. But man, they are they are really uh, intense lyrics here. Yeah. And it really sets up the record as this yeah. more uh, coming off of. Static Prevails, this is a way more orchestral album. Uh, And let's talk real quick about the band's roles. So Tom plays uh, guitar on it. Uh, What was I going to pull up? I pulled that from somewhere. Um, Oh, yeah. So Tom plays guitar on every song on the record except this one. (laughs) (laughs) So this is Jim playing voice and guitar. Rick is playing bass, but Zach is playing the drum set, the vibes, the bells, the chimes, and the concert bass. And Susie Katayama is playing the cello. Um, so I thought that was uh, pretty cool. Like, wow. they really are, th- they talk about this is the record they threw the kitchen sink at. Yeah. And, um, yeah. Uh, so I thought that was really cool. Um, I did really quick want to pull up um, Pebble Swift. 
uh, on the Reddit did an analysis that I thought was pretty good about this uh, track. He says, this song is so good. The guitar work with the doubled high E notes, that chimey guitar sound on the third and fourth notes of the opening riff is so unique and well-placed. Aside from excellent riffs and solos, this is some of my favorite guitar work of theirs. So I thought that was a cool little analysis that even I didn't do. Um, and uh, yeah, I thought that was good. Well, did you want me to read now? This was at the bottom of Genius, and I've seen it a couple of other places. Sure, what do you got? Um, yeah, this is this is essentially what Jim has admitted the song. Ah, uh, yes, yes, yes. Inspired by, right? So, and I believe this comes from the the 2009 retrospective that they did on their website. Okay. So here's the the official um, from the, the horse's mouth here. Uh, one of the very few songs that Jim Atkins actually discussed or explained directly, Table for Glasses describes what Jim witnessed at a local art show in Phoenix, Arizona. Outside the venue, waiting for a dance piece to begin, Jim saw a girl cleaning the steps of an outdoor staircase with the bottom of the white dress she was wearing. Curious about her intentions, he watched as she walked toward a candlelit table that had been prepared, the top of which was covered in empty glasses. She then picked up pieces of dirt and debris off of her dress and placed the debris into the glasses. Jim explains that this event is the reason why he intentionally avoids describing his lyrics or revealing their direct meanings. Watching this art piece alone and trying to discern the meaning for himself was a powerful experience he wishes to provide to Jews' own listeners to encourage them to pay attention and find meaning slash beauty on their own. So Jim is giving this explanation afterward, right? Yeah. About what inspired him to write down these lyrics. And this is from the retrospective later on in, in, in uh, you said 2009. Yeah, July 2009, they did a blog post, Jim and Zach, about yeah. each song. Right. And I think one of the first questions you asked me, and I don't know if, if there was a term that you had used, uh, or there was a phrase you had used. I and mean, you asked me what my thoughts were on leaving the song to be interpreted by the listener and, and the artist never stepping over their bounds and saying, no, this is actually what it is. Um, I think we were like a couple of episodes in when you, when you asked me that. And it was a tough question because I thought, I mean, that's good. That's what you should be able to do is uh, let your listeners interpret this however you want. It's got to be hard, though, if you have this very specific um, story that's associated with this and you just can't explain it. And you hear people like us doing these interpretations. And, yeah, you know, basically, you Jim says uh, no one should definitely <laughs> do a podcast on all these songs. I know, right? He must just be like, maybe that's why he's uh, he's staying away from it. It's like he can't listen to us yeah. do our little analyses of these tracks. That's why but... we had a James Atkins on the show. <laughs> yes, thank you, James <laughs> Atkins. <laughs> yes, but I get I get why he makes that decision of just saying, "Look, I'm not gonna, I'm going to stay away. I'm going to let the I'm going to let the listener um, decide on what the song means, and and not the artist." <laughs> He just writes it and gets the feeling and puts it into song. And and it's up to us to interpret it how we want. Um, And another thing that I wanted to mention is uh, regarding memories and feelings. And there was a user in the Discord recently, uh, like in the general chat, I think it was, that had mentioned, they said something like, I finally get damage. And they had also mentioned that they had recently experienced a a loss or breakup or something. And it's kind of like, it doesn't necessarily have to take a breakup to understand damage. It's just more of, there's certain events that happen in your life that maybe you just don't get that album at that moment in time and it just clicks. 
And I don't know what it is. It could be an event or it could just be that the fact that you get that album later, like you listen to Invented. I listened to Invented a few weeks ago and I thought to myself, this is such a good album. And you know, I, I feel like half the people that talk about it, like they'll shit on it. But uh, the other half, they get it. And it's not like the people who don't like it are wrong, but it's just maybe they just don't get it. It doesn't doesn't hit them that way. So there's a lot of memories and feelings that are associated with these Jimmy Eat World songs and albums that it, it, not not a lot of people are going to share them. It's going to be very unique. Yeah. Um, I pulled up. This is always a, sort of interesting to me. The album was mixed somewhere. I didn't write it down. But three songs were ri- were mixed elsewhere. And this was among them. It was Table for Glasses, For Me This Is Heaven, and Believe in What You Want were mixed at Music Grinder in Hollywood. Um, as opposed to the rest of the songs being mixed wherever they were mixed. But it was interesting that these three were taken on separately. Um, and uh, I did come across these two posts that I thought were interesting. This is from the archived site. So in October of 99, there was a blurb about Clarity. And in October 2000, it had been updated. So let's take a look at the two blurbs that they had on Clarity. So in October of 99, so this is only eight months after the record had come out. This is what they say. This is Clarity, our newest album since Static Prevails. The CD is out on Capitol Records with the double LP is out and the double LP is out on Big Wheel Recreation. It was produced by Mark Trombino and the band. It was recorded during the summer of 1997 and it was released on the 23rd of February 1999. We worked really hard on this record and are very proud of the end result. We hope you all like it. So that's October of 99. One year later, October 2000, This is our newest, in quotes, written, end quote, uh, album, Clarity. It was released on February 23rd, 1999, and will be our last album of the millennium. It has 13 tracks and is a little over an hour long. It was produced by Mark Trombino and us, and it was a blast to make. We are very happy with how it came out, and we hope you all like it. If you don't really know much about us, and you are interested in buying something of ours, we recommend that you start with this release. The compact disc was released by Capitol Records, and the double LP was released by Big Wheel Recreation from Boston, Massachusetts. It is the most musical of all our releases and includes string arrangements, mallet percussion, drum machines, loops, piano, and a bunch of other stuff in joy. So, much more fleshed out take on the album. And I love how how pumped they they are for it, too. (laughs) Yeah, for sure. So excited. Yeah. Um, so, uh, so yeah. Uh, let's see. Um, what did I write here? Oh, so in 2005, I dug back to their blogs that they had um, been keeping. And this was what I found about Table for Glasses in there. Zach wrote this March 7th, 2005. Munich rocked. Just got done with the Munich show. The crowd was awesome. I think German crowds may be the most consistent, best crowds in the world, but I think the UK crowds can prove me wrong. We've had a blast here in Germany. Can't wait to rock the UK. We've added Table for Glasses to the song list, and that's been really fun to play. We rocked with Rogue Wave in Berlin. Check them out. Very cool band. That's it for now. Gonna take it easy tonight. It's so cold here, and I don't want to get sick. Next next show in Stuttgart. Um, (laughs) Now... What, did Kevin from the Discord and Patreon, did he, was he stationed in Germany in 2005? And were those the shows he went to? Those could very well be the shows. I think it was 2005, yeah. That That's he, pretty uh, cool. Yeah. 
look at that, a blog about the show he was maybe at. <laughs> um, I always feel like I get it backwards where he was like, yeah, I was stationed in Germany, but uh, I was elsewhere when they played there and I saw them, you know, somewhere else. But maybe I think Frankfurt and Germany are different places or something. I don't know. Um, well, <laughs> anyway. <laughs> one, one is in what is in the other. So you're <laughs> I mean, they're de- technically two different names, but the, yeah, the same. Sure. Yeah. Same area. Yeah. Um, you read sort of Jim's interpretation of the song yeah. and, and what he meant by it. Zach had a little blurb in that 2009 retrospective as well. Did you come across that? Uh, no, read it. Maybe I did. Go ahead. It's very small compared to Jim's like four paragraphs. Um, he says, compared to the way that we had decided to start off our previous album, Static Prevails, we thought beginning clarity with Table for Glasses was fitting. We felt it served as a musical palate cleanser and prov- hopefully provided a bit of a surprise. This was one of those songs that began as a simple, unassuming song, but then took on a new life when we were putting it together in the studio. That could not be a better transition into us playing the demo. Um, shall we take yes. a listen to this? So. Uh, that's interesting that I went ahead and just did this. I'm pretty sure I put the demo. I know where I have it, but, um, Jimmy Eat World posted April 6, 2020. Check out the Slacker podcast with Philly Taggart tonight at 8 p.m. Uh, Pacific 11 p.m. Eastern 4 a.m. British standard time. Uh, we dropped into chat and play an early demo of Table for Glasses. Listen here. So he uh, links us there, and for some reason, I did not link it back on here, so give me just a minute to find it on our Google Drive. Sensible 
that is a, a demo for uh, Table for Glasses, which is the opening track. Wow. The- um, Thanks, Philly Taggart. Yeah, I I had to let it play through just because I hadn't heard that. Um, all it's really cool. It so is. The, the clip that I provided on Frame.io is a clip. We've discussed it in the past, and I think we discussed it because it was probably in April last year when I listened to this podcast live. How Jim approached songwriting for Clarity and how he approached being able to write the demo. That's all Jim. Yeah. Um, oh, yeah. That sounded and, totally, you know, and I used to record stuff on my four track. And that's exactly what he used. Yep. So let's take a listen to a bit of the Slacker podcast. It's an incredible interview, and we'll link it in the show notes um, that uh, Philly and Jim have. But uh, the Table for Glasses stuff is really cool. And what's interesting is, uh, I, yeah, I have an almost four-minute clip from the podcast here because it's interesting, interesting stuff, but it's like they start on table for glasses and then move on to clarity and the band as a whole. So I, I don't even know if I found like a, a appropriate out point. It just okay. Kinda, the conversation is really good and sort of flows, but I, I think I stuck with as much table for glasses talk as there are. Okay, there here we go. Um, I want to get into the demo now. At the, at the very beginning of every podcast, we play um, a demo and the one that we have got has been queued up by my good friend Barney uh, right now, got a thumbs up, um, is a demo f- table for glasses. Oh my gosh. So wait, I only gave you the demo again? That's incredible. <laughs> yeah, How did I that, pull that off? I, I don't uh, know. This, it, yeah, you're right. <laughs> give me just a sec. Well, I guess you'll just have to go to the show notes and listen to the full interview because Jim talks about how uh, coming off of Static Prevails, he was sort of like going to re-approach how he um, dealt with writing songs and he recorded this at his parents house when he was still living there on a four crack on a four track recorded you know things to tracks one through three and then mixed them down to track four to get more layers so he had three empty tracks and all that yeah. type of stuff and uh he basically touches in this demo about how they went from a punk band to more of an emo uh, like uh, shoot more shoegaze inspired uh, music and stuff like that. So it's really interesting take. And like I said, they sort of maybe I didn't end up pulling the clip because they move on really quickly from the song and more about theory and and not even theory so much as just the band and the album in general. So uh huh, it's a good interview. Um, so yeah, I thought we should at least touch on that briefly. Um. Anything else note-wise that you have? I have a couple other uh, things here. Uh, not really note-wise. I do have um, four little articles that mention it. So uh, if you do oh, what which articles out. do you have? I got four, uh, one of which is from Stereo Gum. Okay. Clarity Turns 20, uh, February 22nd, 2019 by Ian Cohen. And uh, they just say, on table for glasses, the strings and literal bells and whistles are the whole thing. A full-on orchestral version of Jimmy Eat World sounds positively lavish, rendering Static Prevails and even the magnificent Roller Queen from their 1998 EP as mid-fi by comparison. I still can't get over how much the bass booms once the drums come in. Atkins claims that it's slow-core trudge and constantly interlocked harmonies (laughs) were their homage to low, which is something you can't unhear once you know it. The lyrics initially read obtuse, sweep the dirty stairs, the ones I waited on. It's actually Atkins giving a play-by-play of an avant-garde performance piece he saw working at an art supply store and the overwhelming sense that as a rock guy we were infiltrating a secret society it happens too fast to to make it to make sense of it make it last it's an ambitious leap out of emo as it was known at the time into full-on art rock 
a path that many of Jimmy Eat World's peers would take into commercial and critical oblivion. And judging by the very next song, he's as much intimidated by his brush with the avant-garde as he is inspired by it. So I forgot that he was working at the art supply store. That's right. Right. Can you just picture him in like a blue vest with a, a like name <laughs> tag that says James? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, right. Show, show uh, me to your uh, your acrylics. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> I wonder what he dabbled in. Oh, art wise. Yeah. <laughs> I feel like he would be. Uh, I feel like he would be into watercolors or. Oh, I could see him. I, I could see him experimenting with colors. So acrylics or watercolors is what I see. Sure. Yeah. <laughs> From my my um, my personal opinion. Now I got another couple of articles here. One from Please. the Phoenix New Times. I love them. Jimmy Jimmy World's Clarity Anniversary Show. Impressive, March eighth, two thousand nine. Uh, Martin Sismar, and they're just kind of gushing about the Clarity Anniversary Show, and they just briefly say we've heaped hyperbole on Clarity all week here. And last night's show demonstrated why. From the opening drone of the esoteric, a table for glasses through the soft acoustic touches. On the 16-minute closer, Goodbye Sky Harbor, it's a masterpiece on par with anything released in the 1990s. So really gushing about this, this album. Yeah, which they play in its entirety from track um, track 1 to 13. And then they had some cool encores, stuff you would like. What would They, they put down, what would I say to you now? Ah, yeah. Right? Uh, and sweetness in the middle in there. But fun show. Wish I could have been there. Wow, way back in 2009. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, ooh, Bad Feeling Mag. Love Bad, bad Feeling Mag. Bad Feeling Mag. Jimmy World sets a new standard for live stream shows with our Phoenix Session Series. Oh, yeah. Gabriel Sigler posted on February 13th, 2021. And where is it here? The, bound, the, <laughs> the, bound, the band sounded incredible with frontman Jim Atkins' emotive vo- vocals taking center stage amidst the album's meticulously constructed songs. Clarity might be Jimmy World's most adventurous album, there's much less of the anthemic sing-alongs that the band would be known for in the future, and many of the songs still retain the woozy emo rock leanings of the band's beginnings, including almost meditative tracks like Album Opener, Table for Glasses, and 122395. I think that's a great word to describe as meditative. You just sat there in the dark with your headphones on, man, looking up at your yeah. fairy lights. Amazing. Yeah, totally. Just really get into a mood. Um, <laughs> last thing was from uh, Exclaim, which is, I believe, a magazine. Or some kind of uh, maybe online zine. Jimmy, World uh, yeah, Clarity. our our guest next week just uh, just ended his tenure at Exclaim. Excellent! I'm yeah. excited. <laughs> another another clue. Yeah. Who wrote this article? <laughs> uh, Stephen Carlick. <laughs> no, okay, not our guest. Next <laughs> no, week. no, 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 no. So yes, by Stephen Carlick, uh, September second, twenty fourteen. Lead American might be Jimmy World's best-known record, but 1999's Clarity is the one on which the Mesa, Arizona band found their sound. And according to most fans, it's the band's defining statement. That's a fair assessment. Later albums had some better songs, perhaps, but Clarity is the most consistent as the band explore myriad ideas and fully realize them all. Table for Glasses is a pensive opener, providing context for the more pop-oriented upbeat Lucky Denver Mint, while songs like Believe in What You Want and For Me This Is Heaven show the band finding the perfect balance between both. Yeah. So a lot of good things to say about this album and this song in particular. Yeah. So I'm surprised that Pitchfork was not one of the reviews uh, right? that had pulled up. <laughs> and uh, we recently discussed discussed Pitchfork because Rivers Cuomo called them out on yeah. uh, their newest track yeah. uh, from Weezer. Uh, wh- what What is the lyric? It's really good. 
Um, cough, cough, pitchfork. I, let me look back at this. Yeah, um, but he like he says something about like uh, uh, nobody, nobody cares what you have to say, or I can't worry about all the things that you have to say. I'm not going to say. He specifically says something like, "I'm not going to mention you by name." Cough, cough, pitchfork. <laughs> <laughs> he says, "Aha." This is a message that my manager wouldn't approve. After this song, he'll have a lot of cleaning up to do. Don't be influenced by an office full of dorks. I won't mention any names. (laughs) (coughs) Pitchfork. Which is so... I don't know if... uh, You know Rivers better than I do. That seems a little out of character for him. But I guess it's also like a little tongue-in-cheek. So, I don't know. It's pretty cute. Yeah. I think he can get away with it. Yeah. Totally. So... so got the cred. Pitchfork in 99 uh will pretend that this did not exist yet here it is on the uh web archive for all to see pitchforkmedia.com slash article slash record review slash 18 uh 18878 clarity june 3rd 2008 it was still on their website um 3.5 out of 10 yeah uh (laughs) they gave clarity I don't understand what this article. There's no review here. It's dialogue. I, I. It starts with. It's just like Mr. President, Commander, Sir. The airstrikes aren't achieving the level of success we expected. Ah, crap on stick. You know I can't send in ground troops. Are there any other? I, I just don't understand what I'm looking at. All the way to the end, where it just says. Wow, all those syrupy harmonies sure do cloy. You might get a medal for this, says Brett Discrescenzo. Uh, so I don't know who that is. Uh, I'm sure. Fuck it. You know what? We should tweet out this goddamn article. I'm pretty sure Grace probably already has. Let's see what Chris yeah. Discrescenzo. Uh, <laughs> I don't even see this guy on the. Nope. I don't see him anywhere even on this list. So maybe that's a nom de plume. Brent. Brent. De Crescenzo or whatever. Um, but I don't understand what it, it's not even. It's not even a review. Like if I search for any of the names, like if I search for clarity, the only place it comes up is at the beginning of the article. Uh, if I search for table, the only thing it says, ah, well, the only suitable music we could find in Chelsea's room was this Jimmy Eat World CD and this orgy CD single. I see. So there are some at least they say, oh, OK, I see. So the whole thing is. A thing well now that orgy is just bad boy uh bad let's give the jimmy eat world a chance it's our last hope yes sir it was either this or billy joe's greatest hits and that lady in red song damn stanford girl this better work 12 minutes later inside miloskovic's compound home entertainment room mr miloskovic sir the americans have begun to play rock and roll music very loud i just don't understand what i'm looking at this is this is just, oh my gosh. Wait, I and quite this, like this, this song. Is this Zach is a really great a song. This must be the single. You right? are correct. It was also used <laughs> in a new Drew Barrymore film. Of course. The new the song is just like Drew Barrymore. Puffy baby cheeks, curly hair hooks, kissable red lip, drum loops. It's impossible not to like this. Oh no, the third track. It has chugging power chord riffs and screeching guitar transitions. Cover your ears. Wow. So let's see. What do they say? Let's see what they, Okay. Okay, so here's what they have to say about maybe Table for Glasses. Please, sir, come with me. The Yankees have begun playing their CD in hopes of flushing us out. We must prepare. Wait, I hear the music. This is it? This is what they hope to drive us out with? 
It's just the opening song, sir. But still, listen to this. The plotting drumming and toy xylophone. A cello. The guitar sounds like crystal chimes. And the vocals. So much harmonizing. They sound like sensitive white American boys. I imagine if one of the photos of in those vaguely homoerotic Abercrombie and Fitch catalogs came to life and started playing music, it would sound like this. The second song has started, sir. We need to get you to the soundproof recording studio. Okay, so that's what they had to say about um, uh, Table for Glasses, I guess. So that was Pitchfork's review, okay? Uh, that this guy actually wrote all this dialogue up <laughs> for. I'm gonna... I love bullying people online. Let's see what Brent Discrezenzo is doing now. <laughs> It took me to... He's apparently doing Firefox preferences, because that's where it took me. <laughs> what was that? Remember that Parks and Rec? It was like, Andy, what does WebMD says? It says I have a network connection error. <laughs> oh, yeah, uh, Brett. Okay, here he is. Oh, oh my God. His Twitter picture is exactly what I would imagine this person to look like. I'm just going to go ahead and send this to you. Copy image. So that is Brent D. Crescenzo's. Ah, uh, yes, the the brown paper bag, <laughs> um, the angry yeah. brown paper bag. So, uh, he works at MeTV and Tune In with me. So he's doing stuff for MeTV, I guess. Um, okay, MeTV they they're the ones that play like old TV and stuff. Um, got it. Yes. So he's got Vintage media. TV, he's yeah. posted is a picture that says "You suck." It uh, looks like a picture of Taylor Swift with Zac Efron, I guess. I'm not sure what's happening. Since then, and in 2018, uh, Washed Up Emo posted November 1st, 2018, uh, about the Saves the Day. So Pitchfork reser- uh, res- reviewed Saves the Day's 9 record uh, and gave it a 3.5. Uh, Ariel Gordon gave the saves the day record now saves the day we know now are bad at, at least the, the lead singer i believe is a badman um but uh uh washed up emo points out same score as clarity and jimmy Eat world responds november 1st 2018 weird we can't find that clarity review on the pitchfork.com um so since then there has been an updated review it just came out it was posted by chorus fm user Brad Nelson, he had uh, asked about obtaining a copy of the Phoenix Sessions for reasons. And uh, at the time, I didn't know he was working with Pitchfork or anything like that. So anyway, this came out June 6th, 2021. Jimmy Eat World Clarity, 8.6. And uh, yeah, yeah, much, much, much more in line, I think, uh, with the thing. So here's what (laughs) the blurb about Table for Glasses says. By the time he set the scene to the music and the first song on Clarity, Table for Glasses, everything had burned away from the memory, leaving only the image of the woman in a white dress stamped in his mind. It happens too fast to make sense of it, make it last, he sings in the chorus, each second being eaten away by the next until the original context is gone and the song cracks open and blooms. So that is the bit about um, Table for Glasses, which he pulls a lot of the information from the Art Supply Store story. Um, But Right. Uh, is it? I know recently I used the word comeuppance incorrectly, but did somebody get some comeuppance <laughs> there? Is come was comeuppance had by anybody? Did Brett DiCrescenzo um, get a comeuppance? I would say. Well, no. I, I think I, I think he was trying to save face here. I don't know if there's necessarily comeuppance yet. I mean, if they actually were caught, I guess they were. I guess they were sort of caught, but they've hidden their trail. 
Yeah. Right? They, they, I, you can't find it anywhere. How did you find that record? I mean, in the uh, archive, right? Who shared it? Um, th- 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 Thunderdog with two Gs 15 days ago shared it on the subreddit. Yeah. I don't believe there is any sort of comeuppance. Nobody, nobody came up. Dude, bro, can we get last ride of the night on Goliath? Uh, <laughs> responded. Wow, that's awful yeah. to the uh, Pitchfork review. Last ride <laughs> of the night on Goliath. That's so weird to me. Yeah. Um. So yeah. yeah. Uh. There it is. That I, I I couldn't not mention the pitchfork the the OG pitchfork review. Yeah. The new all of a sudden. And here's the thing, the guy that wrote the new article has nothing to do with the old article. So I have no ill will. The guy gave it an eight point six. That's terrific. He uses Chorus FM. I can't have anything but love for Brad Nelson. However, pitchfork trying to pretend that that three point five didn't exist is just silly. Come on. Um, right, exactly. <laughs> uh, let's see. Do I have anything else? I have three Twitter things. Ah, somebody had asked Jimmy Eat World in 2012. Uh, this was John Legan uh, says, Jimmy Eat World, if somebody did a Jimmy Eat World metal cover, what song would they do slash would you want or would you enjoy most? And Jimmy Eat World responds, October 22nd, 2012, table for glasses. So... Table for Glasses metal version uh, would be sick. Uh, there was an enemy interview with Phoebe Bridgers, um, and Zach had tweeted about it. This was in February of 2020. My daughter sent me a screen cap of someone named Phoebe Bridgers saying she wants to cover Table for Glasses, so I started listening to her music, and it literally almost made me cry, which is something I almost never do. My daughter asked if we would allow her to cover our song, and I explained to her that she's free to cover our music. We aren't in the way uh now i feel like we should be covering her which would be so insanely wouldn't that sick. be awesome <laughs> wow would that be so your sick. world oh my would god have collided. that would be too much for me so i went and found up dug up the enemy interview and here's what uh phoebe had to say the interviewer asks uh oh so this is before um uh, Phoebe's side project band with uh, Lucy Dacus and Julian Baker had come out. So what about this rumored collaboration with Julian Baker and Lucy Dacus? It's a secret thing, but I'm so fucking excited. That's all I can tell you for now. An, evil, an album of emo covers, maybe, says the interviewer. Maybe. I actually have a kind of fantasy about doing a covers album in general. My music taste is so eclectic that I think it would be cool to put through the funnel of my arrangements. The... Uh, Interviewer asks what dream covers would be on that. And she says, Table for Glasses by Jimmy Eat World, which would, God, I just couldn't. (laughs) Right. (laughs) Um, I I couldn't even if that had happened. Um, So uh, lastly, in February of 2020, uh, Zach says, listening to Clarity for the first time ever on vinyl. Really wish I would have taken notes or pictures of my setups on each song. Only thing for Table for Glasses I know for sure is that ride was a 22-inch Zildjian ping ride. Snare sounds like my 70s... What 70s what, Justin? Please, yeah, Acrolyte, baby. baby. The Acrolyte. <laughs> Hell yeah. Oh, sick. So uh, that was Zach's uh, take on Table for Glasses on the Twitters. <laughs> Finally, and I was pulling it up, and I think there was it was going very, very slowly. I did, as I do, um, asked Zach uh, about table for glasses and i was like um gosh i can't think of anything like uh, you know i can be like oh what do you remember about table for glasses you can give me something that people have said before but in doing the research did you come across people that were theorizing that the sound at the beginning of the track is 
like somebody playing uh, crystal glasses, like the, you know, when you wet your, the tip of your finger and you rub it around the edge of a, a, a glass, like a goblet style glass that you so can make that. I, I listened, I listened to the track again, you know, a couple of minutes before we went, went to, mm-hmm. to record and I, I realized, okay, that's clearly, um, that is clearly like a synth or yeah. some kind of organ or, or piano of sorts, right? Uh, I don't know if I had glanced past that, but the thought entered my mind last mm. week. And I thought, is the intro of this somebody actually just spinning their finger around a wine yeah. glass? And wouldn't that be so fitting? But so six uh, days ago. Yeah. I, yeah, I asked, yeah, Zach, go ahead. is the sound <laughs> at the top of Table for Glasses a B3 or comparable organ? Or, as some fans speculate, someone playing crystal glasses? And Zach responds... It's an organ. So there it is. <laughs> definitively. It's an organ. Um, there it is. And uh, there was a, f- Oh, right. There's a fan focus. Uh, we don't have to play the whole thing. I'll send you the link. We can listen to a little bit of the beginning of it. And I can give you the reader's digest version of uh, what Patty Stotts in the Facebook group, uh, Perry Stotts uh, in the Facebook group um, talks about. Uh, if you jump to one forty one, we can hear him. Uh, talk a little bit about it. He does a cover that we can play uh, later in the cover section. Um, But he talks about, actually, let's take a look at these timestamps. 532, how he discovered Jimmy Eat World. When he first heard Clarity, the lyrics never really spoke to him on a personal level. He didn't know what the song was about when he first got into Clarity. Uh, And then he talks a little bit about the lyrics and the harmonies and the string arrangements. Uh... Someone says tables are strong, glasses are fragile, which I think is like an interesting take on the uh, on the name of the track. Um, he ranks the albums and then wraps it up 27 minutes, 40 seconds into there. So let's hear a little bit at 532 how he, how Perry Stotts discovered Jimmy Eat World. Okay, let's hear. Decided I wanted to talk about Table for Glasses because originally I was thinking it was the first Jimmy Eat World song that I had ever heard. Then I realized I'm pretty sure that I heard the song Rockstar before, um, back when Napster was a thing. My older sister uh, knew some guy that told her she should download the song 17 because she had just turned 17. So she did. And I heard that song. And I'm pretty sure that was before I heard Table for Glasses because I think I was 15. I was 14 when she was 17. And I think I was 15 when I first heard Table for Glasses. So I didn't really know who Jimmy World was. I knew that one song. And then um, I was in PE class and we were doing weight training. And uh, this girl asked the teacher if she could put a CD on. And he said, yeah, no problem. And she put on Clarity. And um, I think it was only for like 20 minutes. So it was the first maybe five or six songs. But I remember hearing Table for Glasses, which isn't really like a song that you would work out to. But I remember being so moved by it that I asked her who it was afterward. And the next day she gave me a burned copy of Clarity and one of Static Prevails. And I think that Bleed American so had just okay. come out or maybe it came out a little bit later. Yeah. Yeah, man. What a story. Those are the best. <laughs> like, cause now everyone's just like, oh, what's that? And then you just add it to your library on uh, Spotify or Apple Music. So Right. Um, anyway, we'll go back yeah. to Perry in the cover section, but that's all I have for notes. So I do have things like additional links. Um, so do you remember uh, there was um, uh, Charles Miller who owns the who runs the Outpost print company? Oh, yeah. Outpost. Um, so yeah. let's take a look at do you have a link to his table for glasses artwork? I can send it to you. 
Yeah, hit me with it. So this is a really cool piece. This is the first in his, uh, yeah. in all of his uh, pieces for the album. He designed a poster for each track. Um, this is like three, like it looks like a Venn diagram, stacked Venn di diagram, three uh, purple gradient to like a neon pink gradient circles uh, stacked vertically. And at the bottom, it says dash table for glasses, all lowercase and then zero zero one. Um, and uh, yeah, it's a cool little piece. Uh, for some reason, I'm seeing Australian pricing. Um, yeah, right. <laughs> uh, I suppose maybe he's in Australia. I thought maybe I had my VPN on. But if you're seeing it as well, um, uh -huh. how do I have? Oh, no, I'm just like on the Australian Etsy page. Anyway, uh, it's forty dollars Australian, um, but. We'll put a link to this in the uh, page. <laughs> anyway, I was scrolling through the comments and I noticed that somebody from the Facebook group owns one of these table for glasses. One Adam Richard Clark from the Facebook group has one. So I thought that was cool. Oh, I wonder if Adam Richard Clark is in Australia and posted a link to it and he posted an Australian link and I just copied that. Link. Oh, um, that could be it. Um, I did go ahead and search the rest of Etsy. And uh, I saw this. I don't know how I ended up on this. Yeah, this is also $25 Australian. Tables are for glasses, not asses, says this coaster. Um, so, <laughs> yes. Uh, it made me wonder, like, oh, is table for glasses like a take? Is that a common phrase? Tables are for glasses, not asses. And table for glasses is like a tongue-in-cheek take on that. Um, I didn't know. Um, another person in the Facebook group has had this JB Chapiani, uh, Chiapini. That's what it is. JB Chiapini has had this, a beer from the Greenville beer exchange. Um, can't wait to share this beauty with you. Another fun collaboration with our buds, BFS beer. Um, what does that mean? What's BFS beer? Birds fly South ale project. Um, Table for Glasses is a dry hopped mixed culture table beer inspired by spring and all summertime symbols, new beginnings, new ventures, and our empty tables having glasses of beer on them again. The name and artwork, credit to Nate with the good beer. That's an incredible handle. <laughs> um, a tribute to the fabulous <laughs> 1999 Jimmy Eat World album Clarity. Look for cans and draft to uh, debut in a couple weeks at Birds Fly South and both GBX locations. And uh, sure enough, the Table for Glasses artwork on the can is terrific. Um, and uh, I want to have to that. Um, and JB Schiappini uh, had posted a, uh, a menu at the place that they were, um, which listed the Table for Glasses beer. Uh, as something apparently I copied and pasted the link incorrectly, but um, it's uh, oh, here it is. So, yeah, uh, I don't say where they were, but lunch beers. Can you guess which I went with? And Birds Lights, Birds Fly South plus GBX table for glasses, 6.8 ABV dry hopped table beer, 16 ounce, seven dollars at this place. And very cool. Everyone was very excited to see it in the Facebook group. Um, um, and real yeah. quick, just to uh, wanted to give a shout out to uh, to Jed Linux for helping us out with um, helping me out with figuring out if the beer was working. Oh, or not. yeah. But, uh, just to kind of clue you guys in. 
uh, Eric and I had brewed, uh, credit goes to him for the name, uh, the Bleed American Pale Ale a couple of weekends ago. So we've got, from the time that you brew, you've got about a month of fermentation and then a couple of weeks of uh, bottle conditioning where it gets the bubbles in it. So we've got another a couple of weeks. I think by the time this episode comes out, we'll be almost now. Where done with it. is it right now? So now it's sitting in a cool. It's actually on top of the uh, the brick next to our fireplace, right in the center of the house. So it's nice and cool and dark in this area. Okay, you don't have to keep it on ice that whole time. No, 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 okay. no, no. It just stays in a nice, cool place. So you don't want it any place where the the temperature is going to fluctuate crazy. Okay. And you said you tasted it, right? Didn't you say? Oh yeah. Yeah, so what, what what I did was I took out, um, I cleaned, clearly, I cleaned a, uh, a Pyrex, pulled out a cup, and then put it into the graduated cylinder, measured the current gravity, and the gravity basically tells you if there's alcohol in it or not. Sure enough, it's a 5.6-er, which is exactly what it's supposed to be, so I'm excited about that, and it tastes delicious. So what does it taste like if it's not bottle-conditioned and not bubbly? Uh, it just tastes like a like imagine uh. a flat beer. Yeah, you just taste the flavor of it. It's still cool. It's not ice cold, but interesting. You know, it's it's cool. Yeah. Anyway, I'm very excited about it. You talking about beer got me uh, reminded me <laughs> about that. So that's sitting there um, waiting to be tasted by our nice. Yeah, that'll be exciting <laughs> by us. Uh, how much is there? Is there enough that I would be able to have some? Oh yeah, oh, that's plenty. Like it, it would make 60, 60 beers roughly. Okay. So we will do a couple of bombers, and maybe we'll do a. Uh, I'll give you a growler or Sick, something, man. Well, that's exciting. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Before before we get into community and covers and live and all that stuff, I found this guy. Did you come across Fact Mix three forty seven? How to dress well, September twelfth by Fact Magazine. No. So. This no. came up on Discogs, the this how to dress well mix. I don't know why I'm getting all these redirect notices. Um, I guess because I'm coming out of the Google Doc or something. Um, so Fact Magazine uh, had put this out, and it's got Britney Spears and Matt Lauer, uh, Mariah Carey, Alicia Keys, Beyonce, Maxwell, Babyface, Jimmy Eat World, Estacy. <laughs> You know, I'm Prince, all these things, Grimes, um, all these artists, and smack dab in the middle of it is Jimmy Eat World from Table for Glasses, Julian Donkey Boy edit. And I was like, what is this? So sure enough, I sought it out and I found it. Um, How to Dress Well is a DJ um, named Tom, as far as I can tell. And Tom says on June 27, 2012, okay, wasn't going to tell anyone, but I've been listening to Table for Glasses by Jimmy Eat World a lot lately, dot, 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 dot. Four likes, four comments, uh, one of which is me, you're only human. And Tom liked it. And then I DM Tom, hey, do you want to come on and talk about Table for Glasses? He did not respond, but um, uh, it was pretty cool <laughs> that I found uh, this mix. So at 26... 10 let's see this is a soundcloud link i should be able to play this on watch together 26 10 you can hear this alternate mix what was it julian donkey boy mix um of table for glasses <laughs> to get you no one wants to hurt you no one's out to get you no one wants to hurt you no one's out to get you no one wants to hurt you no one's out to get you no one wants to hurt you no one's out to get you. No one wants to hurt you. 
No one wants to hurt you. No one wants to hurt you. you. No one wants so this to is coming hurt out you. of baby faces. When can I see you again? So I'm going to jump it's pretty clever. Up, so a little can... bit of haunting in the middle there. Yeah, totally. I dug it. Um, I'm going to jump to 2949 when we hear the end of Table for Glasses into uh, what is it going into? It goes into Estesi. I saw a chapel of gold, says Estesi. So 2945. Here we go. <laughs> let it play let it roll yeah so good someone takes the um, time to mix all that together add the little uh extras so this is the other one and this is made by clint man 17 and here is what clint, hey, i'll hit play on this and i'll read uh, a little bit of what clint man's uh um description says on youtube so uh, i had two majors in school one was sculpture and expanded practices and the other was photography. Sculpture and expanded practices was very open to any kind of sculpture, installation, video, performance, you name it. Since I was going for a double major, I had to get creative sometimes in killing two birds with one stone. So I was making the, making a photo project, and while I did that, I had to make a video for sculpture and extended practices as an assignment. At 
this point in my life, I was skeptical what a fine art degree would do for me after school. I felt as though this song was addressing my skepticism, although obviously in its own context and making me reflect on my choices and trust in myself that I could make it work. I have. So that is what Clintman17 had said. Let's take a look at some of his uh, video here. He's at a literally at the drawing board. Yeah, with a bunch of water and compressed air. Oh, yeah. Putting a wee bench together. Oh, a swing. Porch swing. Miniature porch swing. Teeth models. Like ceramic teeth? Whoa. Walking around the dorm. Classic. Netflix? Is that a Netflix DVD? No. on which photo, huh? Oh, Clint, man. That's the classic uh, college outfit. Uh, Doing proofs. I remember this in photography class. Yeah. Yeah, man, I vaguely get it, but I respect it. Yeah. So, yeah, that was sick. I, I just wanted that, to address that. at least one of the fan-made videos because there's uh, a bunch. Uh, this was interesting. Somebody had made a storybook, I think, out of Table for Glasses, Nathan Highland. Let's take a look at this. There's drawings. I think, again, it's set to the song. So we'll have to, uh, uh, through the theater of the mind, the listeners will have to guess. But these are like crayon drawings. That is of a forest. Mm-hmm. It's all vertical. Now there's a sun affecting a plant. Yeah, grass, I believe, making the grass grow. The sun's really making the grass grow. Oh, there we go. Kid playing the keyboard. Looks straight out of Nickelodeon. It does. It's very Nickelodeon vibes. More grass growing. (laughs) No information, no video. There's 40 views on this. It was posted April 20th, 2020. No description. One comment, three cry face emoji, and three sad face emoji from SSG Live six months ago. Interesting. Rain and lightning and a tree that's up in the clouds. And it's all like kid. It, it all looks like like a like a little kid drew these. Yeah. Yeah. Some are crayon and then some are marker drawings. 
Yeah. Oh, well, a pretty cool art project. I, I can't tell what it is. I don't want to give away the ending. Um, <laughs> um, so uh, shall we dig into a little bit of community before we sure. hear uh, live performances yeah. and um, covers? Yeah. Uh, what do you got from community? I got uh, three links, um, all three from Reddit. And the first one I have commented, uh, let let the people gush. And this was from JG429 a year ago. Song of the Week, Table for Glasses. And submitted by Linus the Blanket, 5002. The reason I chose this song, uh, because of how much my opinion on it changed. As a bit of a backstory, I rediscovered you about eight months ago and decided to go through their entire discography. Best decision of my life, of course. And for some reason, I didn't really get into clarity because of this song. I found it, God forgive me, boring, monotonous. I moved on to Bleed American, only liking Lucky Denver, Clarity, and Goodbye Sky. Forgive me once again. And two months ago, though, I finally decided to give it a second chance. I closed the curtain, sat on my bed, closed my eyes, and listened to the entire album through and through. I'm I'm eternally glad that I did. That's when I looked up upon this song uh, with totally new eyes, Jim's heartfelt singing, and the lyrics that I memorized from my first re-listen. Definitely my favorite song by them now. Maybe my my favorite song ever. Amazing, right? Wow. Just a couple of listens, yeah. and your whole perspective changes. And then we got it, the, the gushers down here is Pebble Swift. This song is so good. The guitar work with the doubled high E notes, that chimney guitar sound on the third and fourth notes of the opening riff is so unique and well-placed. Aside from excellent riffs and solos, this is some of my favorite guitar work of theirs. Uh, Lock Helm says one of the f- one of the first of theirs I heard, and still one of my favorites. Such a different and bold way to start an album, for sure. A lot of uh, a lot of positive comments in that thread. Um, I'll do that one last. The another track, JG four two nine song of the week, Lucky Denver Mint. Uh, there's only one comment here from Swing Set Clouds that says, "I love on clarity how Table for Glasses starts tentatively and builds to a swell." before dropping the listener into drums of Lucky Denverman and the words, this time it's on my own. Many mm. a road trip, many a road trip began this way for me and it always makes me smile. Uh, to which Brometheus replies, got chills <laughs> just reading your comment. Brometheus. Yeah. <laughs> uh, last thing I wanted to mention from Smacky Richardson three months ago was something I noticed for the first time today. In Table for Glasses, two minutes and 56 seconds in, there yeah. is a really sharp frequency that appears. Can anyone else hear it? It almost sounds like mic feedback. Uh, I didn't hear it. Yeah, you can definitely hear it in there. So let me see oh, if you I can. can. I don't yeah. hear it. So let's see. Okay, I'm going to, I won't make it too loud. But let's see. I'm going to play it from two minutes and 50 seconds. So about five seconds in, you're going to hear it. Did you hear it? Nope. It's very faint. And it, I think maybe this guy was listening or girl was listening cranked, but it is definitely in there. And it does sound kind of like, like mic feedback, like somebody stepped huh. away from a mic and they let that s- the signal loop for a moment. Interesting. I just, yeah, do not hear it. No, no. I wonder if I play it on my <laughs> zoom, <recorder>, oh, yeah. <laughs> if it'll pick up on it. Let's take a look. I'll listen to it real quick. It sounds like the TV noise that we were exploring a while back. Mm, that, uh, so I'm look. I'm listening for something a little higher in the mix, but this is a little more laid back in the mix. Let's take a listen at two fifty six. Nope, <laughs> I don't hear. It. <laughs> no, hear. <it>? Okay, okay. <laughs> What's interesting is I don't know if it's because we're on a call, but when I it doesn't sound all crazy like before. Really? Yeah. Huh. Yeah, 
Is my phone in mono again? <laughs> <laughs> He's gone plaid. <laughs> I, I'm dead set. Like, is my fucking phone in mono again? No, it's not. Okay, good. <laughs> All right, Brometheus. <laughs> All right. Maybe iOS 15 fixed whatever the issue was. They heard yeah. the pod and they patched it <laughs> in the in the first beta of iOS 15. Okay. So yes, uh the yeah, I don't hear it. Um, but if anybody else does, 484JEPod. Um uh Tim Arnold compared clarity to transatlanticism, uh, the albums. I gave the full listen today, and for the first time, or in a while, the circular nature of the album came out, much in the same way Death Cab's Transatlanticism, another contender for a favorite album ever, and also wrecks me every time, begins and ends the same way sonically, so does Clarity. The vibes and bells, similar tempo, and similar tempo, uh, to Table for Glasses, returns before the ending goes all Radiohead, my other favorite band. Jimmy Eat World has gone in and out of being my favorite band over the past two decades. And I remember somebody, it, was it you that had mentioned that the end of Transatlanticism is the same sound that Transatlanticism starts with? And I think they even have it as a drone throughout the entire record to, to like tie it, it all wasn't, together, which I had never noticed before. It was not me, no. Oh, okay. Somebody mentioned that to me in the last couple years, and I had never noticed that before. And now I can't unhear it. And I think that's a very fair statement to make about the end of uh, Goodbye Sky Harbor back into Table for Glasses again. I'll have to listen to the album on loop. Yeah. Um, so I thought that was cool. Um, Sherry Von Hugenstein. Uh, and I never know if I'm saying her name right, uh, in the Facebook group says, Clarity always calms me down. As soon as I hear the beginning of Table for Glasses, I start feeling better. And I think uh, that goes for a lot of people, even you, uh, recounting the time you spent with your grandmother working at the uh, kitchen table or whatever. Yeah. Um, Christopher Kelly says that their favorite concert experience was the Clarity Tour in Chicago, the first notes of Table for Glasses sent me into the most natural high I've ever experienced. Front and center helped a little, probably. Um, so that's really cool. Courtney Smith. Did you uh, come across Courtney Smith's posting about Table for Glasses? No. Uh, the Polar Queen? Uh, yeah. Uh, <laughs> she had many, 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 many posts not getting it, not understanding the song. Then the Phoenix Sessions happens, and I think this is the first post I found of hers where she comes around on the song table for glasses. So uh, this is uh, Courtney Smith, uh, February 15th, dear table for glasses. I was so very wrong. I am so sorry. You are really beautiful. <laughs> dear a Sunday crush, 1223, 98, 10 and goodbye sky Harbor. I'm so sorry that I never persisted with you. And when, and when you didn't hit me straight away, I just didn't really try again. Again, I was wrong and you are all really cool. Dear Clarity, the song, I'm sorry I ditched you as my favorite off the album in favor of Just Watch the Fireworks. Just Watch the Fireworks is freaking amazing. But you are my real love. I was so I was wrong to leave you. Take me back. Dear Cautioners and Heart is Hard to Find. Uh, yeah, sorry, you still have to work. You still have work to do to win my love. So get to it. Um, so it's funny. I think she didn't even love Clarity all that much. And she came she came around. Wow. So um, uh, uh Really cool that they did, obviously, the uh, the Phoenix Sessions um, and that it brought even older fans back into the fray for things that they maybe didn't love or the first time before. around. Yeah. Yeah. Um, 
Norman, Greg Smith, and the 90s hardcore tape and blah, blah, blah group that you invited me to um, had this to say about Clarity. I honestly forget what I heard first. All I know is my good friend took me to see Jimmy Eat World on my 18th birthday, June 2nd, 1999. They opened with Table for Glasses, and the rest was history. Justin Vigiant, Vigiant uh, says, I'm a Clarity guy. Opening with Table for Glasses, I still get chills just thinking about it. Static Prevails is an amazing record. Clarity is a perfect record. Um, so I thought that was kind of cool. Um, I have another couple. I'm trying to make sure I don't F up and read things. Uproxx and Consequence of Sound. Neither of those were articles you read me. Nope. Perfect. Uproxx connects the album to the seasons. And this is when they're talking about the song Just Watch the Fireworks, but they mentioned Table for Glasses on here. Jimmy Eat World's best records can be treated as seasonal flavors. Bleed American, released in July, full of shout-out-loud hooks, bang-on-your-steering-wheel drums, definitely a summer record. JMJ's production wrapped Integrity Blues in Icicle Lights. Futures begins on Election Day and is permeated by a late-autumn chill. I've had debates about where clarity fits into this. 122395 makes it an obvious case for winter, uh, as do the frosty bells and glacial pace of Table for Glasses and Goodbye Sky Harbor. So what about Just Watch the Fireworks? Ah, but here's the thing about Jimmy Eat World's most googly-eyed, unabashedly romantic song. There's not a single mention of actual fireworks in the lyrics, a rare, if not unprecedented, (laughs) example in the deep, deep canon of fireworks songs. And who stays up as late as they do to watch Fourth of July fireworks? Those begin at like 8 p.m. (laughs) <laughs> anyway, they go. On, I, I started going into my wall of Sean there. Yeah, a little right. bit. <laughs> I was waiting for it. <laughs> I can clearly not choose the wine in front of you. Um, but anyway, uh, that goes into what we were talking about with uh, uh, doing the which is the best winter record uh, Patreon episodes, which I was very proud of. Those listen alongs last year. Yeah. So um, here's what Consequence of Sound says in their retrospective. What is a table for glasses anyway? Purportedly, it's exactly what the lyrics say it is. In a track-by-track breakdown the band did for Clarity 10, the anniversary tour, Adkins explains blah, 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 blah. Uh, Adkins says the song is about how there is no correct way to interpret art. Again, we've driven this into the ground, uh, but hey, lots of people maybe didn't know. So now they know. (laughs) Um, JT O'Donnell, between 40 and 50. Mm, 43. 41. Uh, Historically, Jimmy Eat World does not give much public information on what their songs are about. Oh, boy. Here we go again. Buckle in, everybody. Uh, But in the run-up to the incomparably great Clarity Times 10 tour, Jim and Zach spilled the tea about the songs on their greatest record. One of the most fascinating revelations came from the opening track, Table for Glasses. Jim said the lyrics could be taken literally. It's about an avant-garde art installation he saw in Mesa, where in... uh, the artist used the hem of her dress to sweep the dirty steps and rang the dirt into some glass tumblers on the table. For the band that had just done Static Prevails, Table for Glasses itself was about as avant-garde as you could get and certainly showed maturity on many levels. This wasn't hard-rocking, emo-tinged post-punk stuff. It was something else, something the band has uh, was creating all its own. Table for Glasses set the table for all the amazing songs to come on Clarity. Also, the pre-chorus refrain of It Happened Too Fast to Make Sense of It, Make It Last was one that I kept going back to in the weeks leading up to my college graduation the same year of the Clarity Times 10 tour. Uh, So that is Jake T. O'Donnell's uh, number 41 on his top 
100 songs list. Uh, 2018 Clarity Survivor, it was out in round three. Uh, and somehow I didn't save 2017 Clarity Survivor, but there it is. <laughs> Shall we listen to some live versions of the song? Yeah. What do you got, so, man? The earliest I have is not much after, not is right around when I said the first time they played it was. I still can't buy that the first time they played it was in September of 2001. Right, but here right. they are, September 16th, 2001, in Mississippi. And this is on our Google Drive. So I will have to text this to you now. This was recorded live September 16, 2001, in St. Louis, Missouri. That's interesting that it says Mississippi. Um, no <laughs> label or catalog number is credited anywhere on the inserts. The original issue of this release was pressed on a pro CDR with the front cover artwork printed on the disc face. Print run is unknown, but various reburns with blank discs and photocopied artwork have also been circulated. That says, uh, ah, it's called Jimmy Eat World Mississippi Nights um, is the name of this bootleg that shows up on Discogs. So Gosh, good. You hear them just singing alone in there. Woo. Yeah. Yeah, man. Uh, so the next I sent you is from March 1st, 2005 in Germany. So this could be the show that Kevin was at. I always forget. Kevin, <laughs> let us know. <laughs> um, uh, but I thought we'd play a little bit of this. It might sound exactly the same. It was only four years later. Here we go. Sense of it. 
so twinkly. So he kind of keeps it low there with his vocals. Oh yeah. Yeah. Oh, so twinkly. Slow and low. Um so uh I've got uh, I like this just because so we've listened to a bunch of fishy recordings lately. Um and this is what I like about fishy recordings is on those early message boards there was like a whole group of people that would go to shows and swap equipment like, oh if you're going to the show will you record it and here i'll send you the stuff so this is a bit of cool information this show was recorded by beth 030173 from jimmy eat world's message board for simple discourse recording community unfortunately i thought that i had sent beth a uh two mini discs but apparently only sent her one because of this, a few songs did not get recorded, and my set, my sundown is cut about three minutes in. So that, I love that just weird detail. So this was Mesa, two thousand seven. Okay. Throwing away of the end line there. Yeah. Last. Yeah, man. So speaking of clean, they recorded the Clarity Live uh, 10th anniversary tour. And so I wanted to make sure we listened to that. I sent it to you twice. Okay. Um, and then I have one more that we can listen to. All right. I don't know where I got it. <laughs> so this is Clarity 10. Good evening. <laughs> I wouldn't have thought that was you. <laughs> There's those harmonies. Yeah, man. So the whole thing with Clarity 10 was that they went back and they talked about this with the Phoenix Sessions. They went back and relearned the songs. Yeah. Including all the stuff that they hadn't been doing. So this was the this was the longest they ever played Goodbye Sky Harbor was it during this tour.
Zach. Yeah, baby. <laughs> Oh, so man, it sounds so clean. So good. <laughs> and well, you know what's funny is all of these, I did have a YouTube clip. It was a, a show called Rap Rock Palast with Rachel Hayden. Um, it, I just don't have a date on it, so yeah. that's why we didn't play it. And I have so many other cool ones. Lastly, this one, um, and I noticed besides that YouTube one that we didn't play, all of these are from our private stash, so that's yeah. cool. Um, so here's, I don't know, some recent version that they played. <laughs> I don't, couldn't tell you where I got it. Nope. Uh, <laughs> Well, let's take a listen. This must be like the film company or something. Yeah, right? yeah, yeah. so glad you came across that man oh yeah man <laughs> <laughs> wherever so you came i noticed that it. rick was uh doing uh finger style on that yeah <laughs> yeah um uh so yeah so 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 tight uh they always sound incredible uh here's here's a question yeah i have like a grip of covers so yeah, same here <laughs> how about we do now what i do have is one two three four five six from the community Definitely think we should do those on the show. Okay. Outside of that, do you want to pick a few that you do on this show? And then we come back and do covers on this? Because this is another big song. I think Kill was really big. This is already a long episode. Right. <laughs> Let's not uh, inundate everybody. And if you really, really want this, patreon.com slash Jimmy Pod. We'll get, cover, we'll get a cover episode up uh, for this shortly. But we should definitely talk about these. Uh, is that fair? Yeah, that's fair. All right, all right. So, what do you have that you can't miss? Well, all right. I've got ones marked with great harmonies. Um, Love good harm. Yes. 
two of my picks, which let me see my picks out of the 30 or so. <laughs> yeah. Um, I've got one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine green lit. Um, two of those are acapellas, which I love acapellas. Oh my God. Can we talk about acapellas? Yeah. Sure. How many of those are reverse osmosis? <laughs> <laughs> I only got the one in here, but. Oh my God. There's five of them on YouTube. Okay. Got it. Uh, so I got a couple of those. I would say there are three that I could pick. Okay. I, I do have one marked as my fave. I do. Okay. Um, yeah. Gosh. Even me, I'm looking at these. We'll go back and do these. Okay. So, but yes, uh, I, I'm going to stick. I, I'm going to stick to the community on this one. Okay. Okay. And then you give me your couple that you can't miss. All right. Fair enough. Yes. Okay, I've got I've got my three. I'm gonna mark three since you're doing the same thing. You're you're Sweet. doing about five. I'll do about three or four. Okay. Okay. Cool. All right. Uh, shall I start? Go ahead, man. Okay. This is Doctor Thurman from the subreddit. Good. Sounds like the record. Um. Uh. Which uh, people I feel like a lot of these covers sounded like the record. Yeah. Uh, so which here I'm... is Doctor Thurman. Hello, my name is Dr. Thurman. I think it's Dr. Thruman. What? Yeah. <laughs> oh. that piano man David, wow. I, have, I have a confession. Uh, so my notes for this one was got some synth strings that sound great. Picks up, in all caps, my fave. So you actually started oh. off with my favorite track. I know it sounds a lot like Table for Glasses, but if Table for Glasses was made a little bit more rock, that's... Yeah. I don't think I, I listen that far. Uh, I, I'll usually just listen a little bit, especially because I had so many. Yeah. Um, and then, you know, I would find a cover and then I realize, oh, they're part of this thing. And I would go back and move it and all that stuff. So, yeah. <laughs> uh, anyway, uh, what do you got? And then I'll do my next. Okay. I have got, ooh, Forever in Motion. Okay. Let's listen to some Forever in Motion. You're going to listen to this and I think you're going to like it. Here we go. Choice instruments that make it very unique. Sweet 
Oh, hell yeah. It sounds like Scrubs. <laughs> yeah, I think I wrote mandolin on this one. Yeah. I think it's a banjo and a mandolin. Banjolin. <laughs> Manjo. There you go. Monica. I want to see how it picks up here. Yeah, that's gorgeous. Jeez. Yeah, that was forever in motion. Beautiful. Wow. Yeah, that was terrific. Okay, your turn. Um, What were you going to say? Your turn. (laughs) Okay, so I've got Lily Brooks. She's in the Facebook group, so I had to send you the link, and I said she covers snippets from the whole album, and I think... she had mentioned that she liked oh let's see lily brooks says happy birthday clarity 22 years strong she says february 23rd uh may try a piano cover later what were some of your favorites from the stream and uh i scrolled through the comments and sure enough she did uh play little snippets from the whole album so uh i don't know if i gave you a link directly to her video let me see i got it it's up oh Um, you got it okay yeah all right here we go lily brooke Yeah, just listening to that, the the chords that she plays, God, you just realize how what a beautiful song Jim had constructed. Totally right. <laughs> All right, yeah, All right. man. What do you got? All right, let's see. I've got save the acoustic duo for after this. I've got Ryan L. Ryan, Ryan L. L. And I've got I've got Ryan L. In the he's acoustic boy. I wrote cute. Yeah. Okay. Let's listen to them. Uh, I can't remember if they get started right away or if there's a little bit of an introduction. Three, four. Oh, Scratch. <laughs> Sweep the dirty stairs. The ones I
Just an acoustic and an electric ah, there, man. So, so it was like pretty. insanely cute. Yeah. All I right. loved everything about that. Uh, next, I've got our friend Crooked Forest. Table for glasses. Jimmy Eat World cover. Ooh. Uh, this, a Crooked Forest. Uh, this went live February of 2021. Sleep oh, look. It's more Jimmy Eat World, but me instead. Stairs. The ones I waited on This is just for me I felt it watching her It's very folk punk, I love it. Yeah. To make sense of it last it happens too fast and that's her style too because the other cover she has it. yeah make it like last tight Nice, Crooked Forest. Great. What you got? Okay, I got one last one uh, of the top picks here. I got Joseph Jensen. Joseph <sighs> Jensen. Acoustic. I got Joseph Jensen. All right, Acoustic Duo. Um, great voices. Let's, let's listen to these <laughs> What guys. do you think I wrote? <laughs> Acoustic voice? <laughs> no, I wrote facial hair. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Definitely. You mean the mustache? I do. This is perfect. Now the light's like almost exactly... Center the table. The right. guy on our line. left looks okay. like Tim Curry. Oh, totally. <laughs> A younger Tim Curry, not Two, current Tim three, Curry. facial hair i love you (laughs) that's what i think of when i see that um this was so serendipitous so last week when i was talking to mike henneberger for the kill episode he had mentioned his that the the proceeds to his book rock bottom at the renaissance how i fell in and out of love in and out of new york city or something like that um that the proceeds of the book 50 percent of the proceeds of the book are going to the zero platoon charity uh and Sure enough, there's a Zero Platoon cover this week. 
for table oh, for sweet. glasses. Is that nuts? Yeah. So this is his friend Kevin Dye, who literally engineered the recording of the audiobook of Rock Bottom at the Renaissance, covering Table for Glasses this week on this Table for Glasses episode. Isn't that nuts? Oh, yeah. Like, I'm in the middle of talking to him. I had already done the research for this episode, and I was like, wait, who's your friend? <laughs> he told me, and I was like, oh, I just wrote it at Zero Platoon. He's like, yeah, that's the name of the charity. I was like, oh, what? So uh, here is uh, the Zero pr- Platoon cover of Table for Glasses. By I'm Kevin from the band Gates. Um, this is Zero Platoon. Yeah, this is uh, Table for Glasses by Jimmy World. That's one of my favorite records of all time, Clarity, Jimmy World. Um, originally, I learned how to play it just, just because. I thought it was a beautiful song. and uh, I actually played solo acoustic for the first time and only time thus far, opening for this band Athletics that are friends of ours. A band dropped off their show here, actually. And... Um, they asked me to play, and I lived down the street, so I showed up and, and played that song. So, and I think actually I think I learned it for that show, but I, I was like, does anyone want to hear a cover or like one of my original songs? And they, uh, everyone said they wanted to hear one of my songs, so I didn't even end up playing it. But I think that's why I originally learned it. So. Open up. That's the cutaway version of the Ibanez artwood that I own. Oh. Mine is, I don't have the cutaway version. Um, I was just looking at that. It's cool. Greatest acoustic guitar I've ever played. Um. <laughs> All right, uh, you have one more? No, 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 I don't have any more. Oh, uh, okay. Yeah. I have three more, uh, and I just want to cover these because they're in the um, uh, community. Underline the Sky uh, is Dave Langdon from the Facebook group. I said, solid. Sounds like the record. Um, so here is Underline the Sky, a full band cover of Table for Glasses. This was recorded... May 16th, 2020, or at least released May 16th, 2020. So this is a quarantine cover. Yeah. Sweet Yeah. 
Harmonies are beautiful. Yeah, man. Oh, sick. Yeah, man. Man, this week's going to be a really good YouTube playlist. For sure. <laughs> Hell yeah. Because, like, we're only getting in, we're only getting a little bit of the second verse. Yeah. Before we're, like, we can't sit here and watch all these or right. we're going to be real, really late. <laughs> uh, so, uh, oh, Perry Stotts from the Fan Focus did a cover. Yes. Um, so if we jump to 211 of his Fan Focus video, okay. we can hear his cover of Table for Glasses. Here we go, Perry. A little this nervous right not now. Okay. Be in the Facebook group or in the uh, YouTube playlist. Sweep the dirty stairs. The I waited on This is just for me I felt it watching her And it happens too fast Make it last. It happens too fast to make sense of it. Make it last. There we go hell yeah good job perry sick so that you can only hear if you join the private jimmy world fan facebook group uh-huh um lastly austin dinges uh i found uh doing a uke cover and he's also in the community so uh let's do austin dinges who i think did last week's kill fan focus he did
So tight. Yeah. So this was uh, April 15th, 2020. And what that he, this originally got posted. Wow. 182 views. Love that vibrato. Yeah. So tight. Uh, okay, so if anybody wants to hear more, patreon.com slash jimmyeatpod. We will get through the rest of these covers where we've got five by USC's reverse osmosis, two from the Cleftones. Um, <laughs> we've got a piano cover, a grip of acoustic covers, a grip of band covers, including the Holophonics, who we can't, I can't believe we didn't plan this episode. That's okay. Right. <laughs> uh, Somatic Sweater doing another ukulele cover. We've got Christy Brewer that we didn't even get to on this episode. Uh, Army Waters that I wrote, wow, Electric Folk, um, <laughs> and some decor stuff among all of those things. Uh, Justin, what are your final thoughts on the song Table for Glasses? Or as I wrote here, oh my God, Tables for Glasses. <laughs> uh, what are your uh, final thoughts one, on the song for Table for Glasses? Oh, I didn't even mention, uh, I mentioned in the interview. Go ahead. <laughs> awesome. Um, what do I think of the, about this song? It holds a special little place in my heart. And uh, it's one of those where once you hear those that organ introduction, yeah. there, it just it, it puts me at ease. Uh, like that fan had just said, it it just puts their mind in a in a place. It's almost like uh, it's like therapeutic. Um, so this is a this is a, a great beautiful song, and for so few lyrics, it says so much, man. What about you? Yeah, I agree. Um, we chose this for episode eighty eight because uh, eighty eight <laughs> kind of looks like glasses. <laughs> yeah, so that's why I got chosen here. Um, but that is a silly thing to think about a song so poignant and. Uh, uh, transformative for the band uh, really kicked off this era of the band. And um, this is, uh, you know, uh goat era, Jimmy Eat world. Oh yeah. Um, and uh, I am glad that they have uh, sort of become uh, justified in having released a record that did not do well uh, when it originally came out and now is lauded as a masterpiece. Um, and this kicks off that masterpiece. So, um, so yeah, uh, you know, uh, instead of giving everyone a 3.5, uh, continue to be excellent to each other. Yeah, earn that eight and party on, dudes. Ladies and gentlemen, welcoming back to the podcast for his second time, Mr. Greg Simpson from This Might Be a Podcast. Welcome back, sir. Thanks for having me again, man. More Jimmy at World. I need more Jimmy in my life. <laughs> and this is a is this a crossover event? I think we timed it out correctly. That I'm gonna be doing uh uh the Mickey Mouse Clubhouse theme. Yes. Let me make sure on the dates, because I can sync this up. So I'm taking July off right. uh off right for paternity leave and my friend John Walker, who has a bunch of his own podcast podcast by john f f y i z i might as well plug his stuff f y i z if you look that up it like it's a catch-all for all of his different podcasts they're all good he's uh, i'm paying him to do all the mixing and editing for july for all five thursdays in july and that's one of them so let me make sure i've got him in the right order for when this one is going to come out which is when i think this one actually comes out this upcoming friday <laughs> Okay, well, I'll tell him to do that one first. It'll just swap it. I had it as his second one. Yeah, no worries. I'll just tell him to flippy flop. I don't think. I mean, a crossover uh... event within weeks. <laughs> yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. I I love a good crossover, right? You know, like yeah. 
Futurama and the Simpsons. That one was decent. And uh, I think Family I gave Guy and the you... Simpsons, not so good. <laughs> <laughs> I think I gave you a uh, like a swath of like here's the episodes we're sort of doing around that time. And you chose right. this song, Table for Glasses. I'll, uh, I'll give you. Uh, we've talked about it on the episode that we've yet to record. But uh, the only reason Table for Glasses was episode <laughs> eighty eight was because eighty eight kind of looks like glasses. So <laughs> that's how Table for Glasses <laughs> ended up. Uh, I- <laughs> I love how I love finding out the ins and outs of how everyone does their little podcast. Because <laughs> to me, podcasts like ours, I I just I kind of hate. Well, I love Conan, but I kind of hate how like people like Conan are like, hey, why don't I have a podcast too? Instantly huge, instantly making money. You know right. this kind of thing. Like it didn't work for you know you didn't work for it. I mean you worked to become a great you know late night host for you know thirty years, but like. Uh, you know, it used to be like the wild, you know, the wild west where like I started podcasting for, well, I would appear on the punk news podcast, which had been, which has been going for over a decade. It's like 550 episodes or something. And then I was the producer for that. And then I had two Greg's one podcast, which started in 2011, I think. No, 2012. So I've been podcasting for almost a decade. And it was like back when people were like, what's a podcast you know <laughs> yeah, and you're exactly. like oh you know you got an iphone right it's the purple one. Oh, <laughs> i've never touched that purple one before and like so where do i watch it uh it's just audio wait so it's like radio yeah but you can listen to it whenever it's like a whole thing and now it's like everybody has a fucking podcast i mean the mcelroy's <laughs> even put out a book everyone has a podcast except you um th- those guys worked for it like they built that thing up and now they're making a living off of it whereas like all these famous people are just jumping in and my friends are like did you know jason bateman has a podcast i'm like god damn it like what oh that's you know, right and i think who cares? i think they're just chatting like <laughs> right it's like all these famous people are like we'll just come in and have no prep and there's no theme and it's just listen to us talk because we're already famous I-, I mean like get out of here dudes like <laughs> i'll listen to one here and there but i'm kind of like I don't know what's the word. I don't know what the word. I'm, I'm kind of like c- cynical about the whole thing where it's like you and I have these podcasts and like we kind of came up from, you know, we both listened to Blink-155 and we kind of met on Twitter through there and like, you know, they built something pretty big out of that and then like, you know, like nine months later, I'm like, well, I'll do a song by song and then like a couple months after that, you're like, I'll do a song by song thing and then like now they're everywhere and there's like three Weezer song by song podcasts but like all of these are like grassroots kind of things, yeah. right? <laughs> we're, you know, we're not just like, hey, you already listened to me talk on the TV. Now listen to me talk over here. And it's like, you didn't work for it, man. Get out of the space. <laughs> uh, I, I my zone. Think, did you hear John Mulaney and Nick Kroll's podcast that they did for a quarantine? Um, no. It's, it's called Oh Hello, the podcast. And uh, it's basically them investigating <laughs> sure the death yeah. of Princess Di in an eight episode arc a la Ooh. NPR. But okay, that's they're the good. Oh Hello See, characters. Something. They have Ira Glass and Sarah Koenig <laughs> on the show. And both of them are like, oh. you're not. So what? what's the podcast about? <laughs> they're like the death of Princess Diana. <laughs> It's really see, good. See this. See that's good because it's like <laughs> I do like some of the ones like um, that have spun off from like Comedy Bang Bang and stuff. Like Comedy Bang Bang is another one that's like earned its stripes, you know. And like stuff is spun off where you know Paul F. Tompkins will do these different ones, and they're like scripted or like semi-scripted or kind of improvised comedy stuff like that. Like they're actually working for it. Whereas you'll have these other guys where it's just like we're going to talk about whatever. 
Yeah. You know, like I tried listening to Armchair Expert and like he's been doing it for a while too. Uh, uh what the fuck's that guy's name? Jack Shepard. He's going he's going yeah. Spotify, man. He sold out. <laughs> oh, yeah. See, there you go. Right? It's like you're already an actor. Like he'd been going at it for a minute. He he didn't jump on, you know, at the last second like all these other people. But like I feel like I don't know what it's like we're reaching that like um like where everyone's just going to be like no more podcasts. I'm over podcasts. I'm not listening to any podcasts anymore podcast because I'm sick of hearing band. about them. Podcast is the yeah, new well, band. <laughs> yeah, I don't know. Yeah, it's like all of a sudden it's like caught like red hot and I'm like, we've already been here for a while. I man. think cereal. Like, cereal was when people were like, oh, where, oh how yeah. do I listen to cereal? The purple icon? Okay. Right, right. Because it's like, oh, I I like listening to NPR. Oh, yeah. that's not on the radio radio? What is it? Okay, yeah, and then people started figuring it out, and it kind of went from there. Yeah. But even that, I mean, that was like eight years ago, wasn't it, the first 20, season? Uh, 20, I was at my old job, so yeah, some sometime before 2015, for sure. Yeah. yeah. Oh, and Serial was great. And yeah. that was, I guess I don't mind like a broadcasting company getting out and like broadcasters, because they know what they're doing, and like there's a lot of fucking work that goes into Serial. Um, and Conan shows pretty streamlined. I do like Conan's, but there's other ones where it's just like, well, yeah, like the, the, the Will Arnett and Jason Bateman and the one other guy I don't know who's probably just a writer or something. Um, just a writer. No, like all these famous guys where they're just like, we're going to chit chat. And I'm like, I'm like, you're taking up, you're taking up the ear time. Like everyone's only got so much of a commute. Right. And, and it's like, Hey, did you listen to my, did you listen to my episode this week? It was a really good one. Oh, well, you know, they got this new – Joe Schmo's got this new podcast. I really like Joe Schmo from his movies, and now I can just hear him talk about nothing for an hour instead of you, my friend. Yeah. <laughs> and it's just like, motherfuckers. This is a podcast-talk-heavy episode. Know, um, specifically, God, you know, I mean, specifically you guys, because, we've been uh, hashing it out in the <laughs> trenches, you know. You and I, we've been hashing it out for a while. Now. Well, what's interesting is this specific episode do – I don't know who Phil Taggart is, but he has a, he has a show called Phil Taggart's Slacker Podcast. Maybe we talked about it on this episode. Um, well, we hmm. did talk about the podcast on the episode because Jim went on his show and played the demo for Table for Glasses, which had never been Ooh. played anywhere before. So uh, uh, when you – uh, go back and listen to the beginning <laughs> part of the episode. Um, you'll hear the demo for Table for Glasses, which is really cool, um, and hear Jim talk a little bit about it. So yeah, we got uh, Phil Taggart Slacker podcast to talk about on the show. Now we're talking about pods some yeah. more. Um, Has nobody ripped that up to? to... Oh, oh, we yeah, ripped it and not, we play uh, it on this it on episode. The... And uh, right, and... but it's not on YouTube. It does not look. No, like we it. have it on our Google Drive, and uh, yeah, maybe we mm. should put it up on YouTube, and mash it up with something. Um, yeah just put us just like ranting like lunatics over top of it (laughs) totally (laughs) and vocal through a vocoder through autotune there it is (laughs) (laughs) so yeah so you chose table for glasses out of this group of songs uh uh, this is your second clarity episode as well as being your second appearance on the podcast uh, what can i say i guess you're a clarity man (laughs) and uh instead of a clergyman yeah can, and, can you uh, remind me what were the other ones that I could I could maybe find it back in oh, the email? Let's see, what were the probably other ones hate I had to pick from? or uh, kill or let's see. Uh, any of the other ones we just did? <laughs> yeah, I can't. Oh, okay. If I brought up your feed there, I was looking to see if our Mickey Mouse feed seems to be separate from that. Or, I mean, our thread, our Mickey Mouse thread, seems to be different from whatever my song choosing one was. Yeah. No, I'm like a month behind on yours because I've been listening to Will Arnett's podcast. No, just- <laughs> <laughs> but 
Let me tell well, you I'm something. on summer break. I'm on summer break now, so like I haven't had a commute for two and a half weeks. Oh yeah, man. Um, so yeah, the podcast like uh, I've I'm way behind on everything. Of course. So, but you chose this song, the first song off of Clarity, and what does mm-hmm. this song mean to you? Uh, does it mean much of the same as uh, your previous episode for Me This Is Heaven, or or it, how does this live in your uh, mind? Well. I mean, this whole album and Bleed American um, really tie down to, you know, Kara and I getting together. And we just had our 15th wedding anniversary yesterday. Wow. Happy anniversary. Yeah. Thank you. Been together for 19 years. So, you know, if you go back to 2002, you know, uh, Bleed American was the fresh one. But, like, she was, like, uh, my emo chick. And I think we talk about this on that previous episode because she was on it with me. <clears throat> and we talk all about how I put that song on a mix CD for her. Um, so, I mean, th- this album, t- to me, like, uh, Static Prevails is like their kind of crunchy, real, like, you know, Sunny Day Real Estate inspired emo uh, album. And then Clarity is like, they're like, hey, let's get twink- Twinkly. And it's their, their slower and softer album. It does have the rockers. But to me, overall, it has like a more chill feel. It's called Clarity. And then you got Bleed American where they're like real big rockers. We're going to layer every guitar a million times. Um, and I I probably put on Bleed American more, but like for some reason, Clarity has that like more like romantic feel to it. And it just worked perfectly for like, you know, riding around with your, your new, your new girlfriend yeah. who then four years later ends up your wife. And now 15 years later, we're going to have a kid in two weeks. <laughs> Your first? Another this, kid. No, I was going to say. Another kid. No, first, it's our second right? yeah. daughter. Yeah. You know, so she, you know, think, you know, things have been happening and Jimmy World plays a part in our relationship to where it's like kind of just forever length. Like it's like them just to Brazil and uh, just Brazil's uh, probably Orange Rhyming Dictionary, even though Four Corner Night was the one that had just come out. And then um, Promise Ring, Very Emergency, which she lent me. Uh, and then Woodwater, which came out pretty soon after that. So those... Uh, well, and I guess probably Pedro the Lion, Hard to Find a Friend, and uh, probably Control. So those, like, four albums, um, I don't know, I'm just going to keep naming more. Probably Elliot Smith's, uh, you know, either or, or it's self-titled. Those, like, group of albums were, like, it was like a like a handful of CDs that she gave to me. And I was giving her, like, dumb shit, like Lagwagon or something. Probably Bad Astronaut. <laughs> you know, some Joey Cape thing. You know, <clears throat> you know, because I was still just like, oh, I like songs that go, do that, do that, do that, do that, do that, do that. And, and she's like, here's some slow stuff. I'm like, this isn't bad. Um, and the rest is history. And now I like both <laughs> things. But this, nice. like, the, the opening track to kick off this album that, like, we listen to incessantly, like, you know, you, you got to love a good opener. And this one, to be honest, I didn't like it for the longest time. So I'm like, hurry it up already. Like, it's like <laughs> the definition of, like, a slow burn uh, indie song. Because it starts out just like, I mean, it, it really opens the album perfectly. But to me, I'm like, skip. I'm like, let's get to, you know, Lucky Denver Minute. Let's get to something else. You know, let's skip to something harder. Um, but for this particular album, like, it would have been a horrible opener for Bleed American. But it's the perfect opener for Clarity. Just the way it starts, like, everything's all trebly. It's like Twinkly, you got Glockenspiel. Uh, Zach isn't playing any kick drum. It's just like, just like Ride and uh snare and it takes forever it's it's like i mean they make you wait so long for it they just tease you forever and eventually i mean i'm trying to think like how far into the song 
do you finally get some kick drum? Let me see. How far into the song do we get kick drum? Uh, a minute in, still no kick drum. And then it gets more twinkly. The drums drop out completely. The cello comes in. You're like, okay, that's pretty. It's like at the two... It's two minutes. It's halfway through the song. <laughs> but you even get full drum kit. And and then there's still like... It's still kind of lacking low end. And then by like the three, three and a half minute mark, then all of a sudden it like fills up. And honestly, it's kind of the genius of Mark Trombino as much of a fucking union buster he seems to be. <laughs> um, like he is a great producer and he put out... He made so many good records around this time. Yeah. Um, in this scene, especially. And fucking, I mean, I love his bands. I mean, Drive Like Jay, who I've been listening to a ton recently for whatever reason. Them and like Sonic Youth and Fugazi. I'm in some weird kind of crunchy, you know, <laughs> dissonance kick. But like this one, it's so pretty. And like the drum sound, like the snare sound that Zach is known for in Trombino as a drummer. Like he will cue in the drums like nobody's business. Like, the drums on any album he produces are just gold. Yeah. And gold, Jerry. Zach has gold. talked about how much, I mean, the band has talked about how much they threw the kitchen sink and they rented timpanis and they rented all these yeah. different things and all these different kits and uh, just to, just to, because they could on Capitol's Dime. Got that budget. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> it's the factory showroom of their catalog. Exactly. So it really, really, <laughs> they really might be shows, giants people. Yeah. I don't know. <laughs> um, you had if mentioned the cello. Mentioned that, yeah. And it's uh -huh. Susie Katayama, and we sort of talk about her resume. Oh. I'll have to look at it when we record the episode. Um, but did <laughs> it, it, I know that you have They Might Be Giants catalog very well uh, organized. Has Susie Katayama done anything with They Might Be Giants? Because she's done so many things with so many bands. Uh, spell the last name for me. I got the wiki up here like I always do. K-A-T-A-Y-A-M-A. Y-A-M-A. Uh, no, because I'm, they've had Garo Yellen, who was in Per Ubu for a minute. They got hooked up with him because Tony Maimone was their first human bassist, the bassist of Per Ubu from like 1976 to 92. Like he wow. came out of this crazy avant-garde art punk band from Ohio, ended up in New York and uh, I guess wanted to tour Bless or something or being a less weird band. I don't know. I just had him on the show for the second time. Um, and he is a really cool guy. Um, he's contributing a cover to this compilation I'm doing. He's covering a, they might be giant song that he's not on. He's covering minimum wage with his 10 year old son. And it's incredible. That's the, that's uh, so I'll just tease that it's a charity compilation for my fifth grader who has uh, brain cancer. So I'm doing this whole awesome, fully man. licensed CD pressed. Yeah. Oh, it's great. We've got Cloud Nothings on it. We've got Franz Nikolai from The Hold Steady. we got Mustard Plug. we got uh, Bob Nana from Braid. Um, it's, uh, oh, uh, Pet Symmetry. It's, uh, it's and, and a bunch of my friends who are really good at covers. So it's, uh, it's going to be pretty amazing. But anyway, uh, so they uh, got hooked up through Tony. For Gary Yellen, because they had shared a stage together, he's this cellist who could do pretty much anything. And he appears all over Factory Showroom, which was then their second full band album when they still had Electra Money. It was their last album with Electra Money. And there's just strings all over it. And so he's the one primarily playing cello um, on stuff that they have a string section. They have a lot more often to have horns than strings. Um, that's like their string-heavy album. So she has not, uh, at least on the wiki, uh, which I'm pretty sure means that she has not played another They Might Be Giant song. Uh, 
Yeah, but the cello in the song is gorgeous. Yeah, and uh, gorgeous. She's worked with them uh, uh, several times uh, before, and uh, and And on other albums too. Yes, I don't have that up in front of me, but I believe, hmm, definitely on this record, she's she did all the arrangements with Jim, um, and plays specifically on this song. Uh, and did all the string arrangements. Um, okay, yeah, I'd have, to, arrangements, I'd have yeah. to look it up. I don't have it in front of me. What other records she might have played on uh, or participated in in some way? They also use Beck's dad a lot. Um, what? Who I always forget his name because I just like to call him Beck's dad. Uh, I think it's I, I, I think it's David. Mister Beck. Yeah. Uh, what's Beck's last name? Shit. Um, is that like Hanson or something? No. Oh no. Uh, ba- Beck's David something last or other. Name. Beck. No. That no. Not the show victorious. Get out of here. Be- or just Beck's uh, dad. Beck's dad. Uh Beck. The musician. Why is this so <laughs> hard to You know what Beck I'm talking about? Uh Beck David Campbell. Yeah, there you go. Hey, so, yeah. he's older than I thought he was. So yeah, David Campbell's done a bunch of stuff, uh, arrangements, and I saw David Campbell play with uh, uh, Death Cab for Cutie at the Bowl, M83 at the Bowl. Mm. Um, mm-hmm. Basically, if a rock band comes through, Dave Campbell is doing the <laughs> arrangements uh, for that's the, cool uh, for the LA Phil and all that stuff. So, um, so did Beck have help getting famous? Is that what it is? Is that was already in yeah, the biz? His dad, yeah, his dad uh. definitely in the biz. Um, well, he's a talented dude. Yeah, yeah, for sure. I mean, I remember he won that Grammy best for, best, for best album, and everybody was up in arms. This was like five or six years ago. And then I put the record on. Oh, yeah. I, I don't think I've listened to it since, but I was like, I mean, it may not be for me, but it sounds like a Grammy winning record to me. Um, yeah, so to me, Beck is like, without getting on too much of a tangent, like he's my friend Johnny and Doppelopoulos. We just had a practice. Um, he's, I think, I think he considers Beck his favorite band, either them or Hum. I mean, favorite artist, I guess. But, like, he's kind of like, you know, love him or hate him, he's kind of like a modern David Bowie in that he tries to make every album, if not a different genre, like a totally different vibe. Yeah. So, like, he has his chill albums. Like, there's a Beck album for, like, every occasion, right? If you want, like, some slacker, grungy, half-wrapped kind of thing, you go Mellow Gold. If you want a bunch of samples and scratching and uh, weird production, you go Odelay. You know, if you want a soft, softer one, you go, you know, Sea Change or whatever that one was called. You know, it's, uh, yeah, he's, he's like Bowie in that way. Like, every couple of years, he's like, I'm doing something different now. <laughs> and he's appeared on Futurama, so he's always had a place in my heart for yeah. that. <laughs> And the last little bit about Clarity, I don't remember if we talked about this, was that they recorded it at Sound City, the fabled Sound City, um, Ooh, which yes. has a, a very famous documentary about it. Um, uh, Dave mm-hmm. Grohl now owns the soundboard from the original Sound City and all that stuff. Oh, yeah. Uh, yeah. Did They Might Be Giants ever record at Sound City? Oh, no. Lord, no. no. <laughs> they're East Coasters, man. Oh, I don't they're, know. You uh, know, they're I guess that's true. Brooklyn but yeah, Jimmy World for through. the most part has recorded in LA and Phoenix, but they did have a couple recordings that they did I mean, in that New makes York sense. that we've talked about. That's uh that's kind of a trip that they like recorded mid tour. <laughs> it's funny. I don't know if I'm just pulling this out of my ass, but it does kind of seem like musicians at least, maybe not actors. Musicians, uh if they're in New York, they tend to kind of stay in New York. But if they're in L.A., they'll probably end up in New York at some point for something <laughs> and then come back. You know, like, yeah, you know, totally. there's just so many there's just so much history there with the music of New York. And not that there isn't in L.A., 
but I mean, they're, it's just like some bands don't want to be in that sunshiny, you know, like they might be giants are not hanging out on the beach kind of dudes. <laughs> like they're not LA dudes. They do not want to have to drive everywhere. They want to, you know, when they were early on in the band, the reason dial a song service started is because Linnell was a bike messenger and broke his wrist. Like they're the, they're like Brooklyn dudes through and through, you know, they love living in an apartment and not in a house with a lawn. They like just, you know, Flansburg with his cat, you know, they're just like totally just like, uh, small, you know, living small kind of dudes. Um, you know, they eventually bought houses up, like summer houses upstate or whatever, right, you know, yeah, like Long around Island or stuff. whatever. But, yeah. You know, yeah. <laughs> oh no, they're going up to like nature. You know, they they don't want the beach. They want like the woods where the next neighbor's like so far away. Oh, you I know. guess I don't know the I don't know the <laughs> geography of the state all that well. <laughs> oh, Ithaca is beautiful, man. They say Ithaca is gorgeous because it's got a lot of gorges oh, and waterfalls I see. and shit. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. And his dad, Flansburg's dad, was a, a notable architect at uh, Cornell. Which so I, uh, which like I assume is up the there in New York State home. somewhere. Uh, Ithaca, Cornell is in, is in Ithaca. Oh, okay. All of this is news. <laughs> Sorry, to my me. wife is in academia. She's done stuff at all. I mean, my wife's done stuff at Cornell. My wife has done. She, she did a thing through Harvard in uh, at Rio de Janeiro. That's how smart my wife is. Um, this lady that stuck with me for fifteen years somehow, and we bonded over emo music. Like she's a she's a Spanish professor now, and is tenured and has a book on Amazon. If you'd like to go buy it. That's right. Cara Ann Canelli. Cara Ann Canelli. If you look her up, no one else in America has that name. Um, so, yeah, she's pretty easy to Google. Uh, uh, <laughs> Let's finally. get it to the top of the New York Times if you want to learn about race issues in 19th century uh, Mexico and uh, American Southwest. <laughs> Pick it up. <laughs> it's very, very heady. Yeah. <laughs> um, finally, uh, I don't I, I don't portend to know that i uh they might be giants catalog all that well but a song like table for glasses sounds like something that might be out of left field for them do they have anything that is comparably arranged or uh Hmm. in that same vibe because they also seem like a prolific band that has a little bit of something for everybody (laughs) yeah uh geez as far as like a slow burn one goes i'm trying to think because they don't have a ton of ballads, and even their slower songs that you might call a ballad are not this slow or this drawn out. Like, typically they get to the point, and, you know, part of it was dial a song because an answering machine tape, you know, they were singing, you know, recording something and then playing it on basically the outgoing message on an answering machine. So everything was two minutes, you know, mm. they weren't doing like a four and a half minute song in the answering machine. People were calling up this number. Yeah, I still get the magnet right here. That awesome. installing and servicing melodies since 1982. Uh, 718-387-6962. And you can still hear songs at that number. Um, <clears throat> and there's an app for it now, of course. There's oh, a yeah. dial song app. But like four minutes is a real stretch for them. And I keep mentioning Factory Showroom, their big lavish, uh, their most lavish record. Uh, they actually crack four minutes twice on that album so i think if there was gonna be something oh what would i even compare to it okay let's look at factory charm so you got spiraling shape maybe the longest song they've ever put out and that is oh no that's 424 how can i sing like a girl is 432 oh geez i don't 
even the long songs, it's because there'd be some co- sort of weird artsy outro or something. It's not because oh. they're like building on one chord progression for forever. Yeah, I was going to say, or know. there's like a second movement and really it's like two songs married together. Yeah, I mean, that's another thing. I Jesus, I'd have to think on that. I think maybe, you know, maybe the bells are ringing as their table for glasses, which is actually the closer of that album. And it kind of builds in a similar dynamic way. It ends with this huge reverb snare drum that sounds like it could be something that, that Zach Lynn played. Nice. Um, like big-ass deep snare drum. It's like... Um, it's more of a marching effect, but then like a female vocal comes in. There's all these things that you don't hear. Um, I believe there's glockenspiels in it, or is it tubular bells? I mean, there's bells in it. It's called the bells are ringing. So I guess that's my answer. The bells are ringing is the most they've ever come close to something like Table for Glasses. Nice. Because they just don't, you know, and that's three and a half minutes. So that's even a kind of a long song for them, you yeah. know. Two two thirty is about their wheelhouse. <laughs> <laughs> They're not like Jimmy World at all. It's you know that's just kind of how I roll. It's like I'm either listening to like, you know, a forty second Minor Threat song, or like an eight minute Sonic Youth song, and then right in the middle are just these little weird poppy. They might be giant songs. It's <laughs> like I don't know. I listen to the weird, and then I'm listening to like Gustav Holst, the Planets uh, Symphony. You know, because I'm a band nerd. Spotify doesn't know what to make of me. Like it made a mix for the nineties and it was like, it was like Tupac into they might be giants into. Yeah. Like jets to Brazil or something like that. I'm like, this is a fucking great mix. But anyone else would be like, who the hell? It's like some randomized, you know, it's like some (laughs) computer just like went on random and picked a playlist. (laughs) Oh man. Yeah. Well, that's me. I like to digest a million different things and, uh, I guess as a producer and a musician, like appreciating someone like Trombino and like listening to a whole bunch of things just to like steal ideas, you know, right, yeah. production ideas. I actually taped up my snare drum to get a Questlove sound for uh, uh, another cover on that compilation nice. that I'm doing with Adam, Adam Gorin of Adam and his package. We're doing a song that has re- hip hop drums in it. Nice. Yeah. I'm always, I'm always looking to steal moves and honestly... I've started listening to more Trombino ever since I heard about the union busting at his donut friend shop. Uh, and not because I'm like, well, I got to support this guy, but because like, I'm like, oh yeah, Trombino, he put out, he, he produced a lot of records. I like, it seems like a dick, but you know, Jimmy world has nothing to do with that. I'm not going to stop listening to clarity because Trombino yeah. turns out to be some secret conservative boss asshole. You know? <laughs> yeah. I don't know enough about that. And we don't talk really about it on the show, but, my impression is that he just started out, yeah. something and mm-hmm. did not consider the long-term effects of it becoming successful. And right. making that adjustment so quickly is probably not part of his business model. And so he, mm-hmm. but mm-hmm. again, I, I, I know about as much as, you know, what we see on social media. So, yeah, I'm giving him kind of the benefit of the doubt for now. It's not like he did some horrible you know, cancel worthy thing yet. Like he hasn't, there haven't been any horrible allegations of anything, you know, one-on-one with a worker or something. This is kind of a different thing where it's like, okay, it's kind of disappointing that it seems like what we thought his politics might be coming in from the punk and indie scene. There are conservative punks, you know, they're, uh, you know, few and far between, or they kind of keep it to themselves or you're Michael Graves and you go on fucking Colbert show and makeup or was it the daily show? I don't remember. Um, 
in the later era, Misfits, um, or Joe Escalante from the Vandals, you know, stuff like that. But it's like, dude, what the fuck? I totally didn't expect that from you. <laughs> I love the records you put out, and like, you know, he's the drummer of Drive, Drive Like Jehu. I'm not going to stop listening to them. He's the producer on these records. I'm not going to stop listening to, you know, th- didn't he do a Blink album? He did, did he do dude. Self titled. He did Dude Ranch. Yeah, okay. So kind of his early producer days. Yeah, and they yeah. they hired him. Uh they they talked to Matt Pinfield on uh, 120 minutes and they and Matt Pinfield was talking about Drive Like Jehu uh and Mark Trombino and they're like, "Well, we hired him because he was the drummer of Drive Like Jehu and he produced Static Prevails." And so we wanted that guy. And mm-hmm. they were touring. Yeah. They were touring uh uh, is it Big Fish? I think I'm, it's funny as I eat at a restaurant called Big Fish, and now I'm very confused. But uh, the studio they recorded Dude Fishbone? Ranch. <laughs> no, no, no. I, I, I'm pretty sure it was Big Fish uh, in San Diego. And even Jimmy World has recorded there. So Mark Trombino, it, they're like, mm-hmm. oh, let's go tour the studio. Uh, it's a big studio for us, this small band. Um, let's go tour it. And they were touring it with the guy that they had been doing pre-production with on the demos for dude ranch mm-hmm. and mark uh-huh. trombino was there and they're like oh no we want this guy <laughs> and so they dropped yeah they right dropped yeah the producer <laughs> sorry of whoever yeah. was gonna well. do dude ranch it might have been oh uh from uh the guy that produced uh cheshire cat um he was from oh sure i forget sure. what band now i'm really bad with all of that dinosaur jr oh yeah uh, what uh no, oh bartholomew i think is his name but anyway um mm. yeah i don't know who that is I forget what band he's from. Uh, but anyway, they went with uh, Mark. At, uh... Yeah, Dinosaur Jr. is just Lou Barlow and Murph. Oh, okay. And Mascus, of course, yeah. Um, oh, Yeah, what's Murph's last name even? No, it's not him. Uh, you know, but uh, he's never produced anything. He just drums. He doesn't do anything other than Dinosaur <laughs> Jr. He's just like, Where that's do I my show thing. Up? Okay, I'll play real loud. That's my thing, yeah. <laughs> play my awesome purple and green sparkle kit. God, they're so Sick. good. That new record is so good. Um, yeah, I mean, Trombino does a great job on Clarity, and it sounds thick but not overpowering. Like, he did Bleed American, too. Am I correct? He, he did um, Bleed American, yeah. Yeah, Bleed American, I love the production on that, too, but it kind of ushered in a little bit of the loudness wars into indie rock. And Yeah, yeah I'm sure you guys talked about this before. Again, I kind of I kind of skipped through your episodes to yeah, different well, songs that get, I wanted to listen to. Yeah, we never to. got into so the nitty gritty something. like that, and that's the nice thing about doing ten to thirteen episodes per album is you can go back and talk about like, okay, now let's look at the right, sonic qualities right. of the album as a whole, especially when there's not much to say about a song. Um, but yeah, we hadn't mm-hmm. really gotten into. But yeah, you're right, uh, and and that has a lot to do with clarity uh, being to tape mm-hmm. and bleed American being half tape half. Pro Tools. Oh, uh, oh, I didn't know. That. I didn't even. I didn't even think that Clarity would have been to tape. That would have been even old. School that's the reason. Goodbye Sky Harbor is the length that it is. It's the entire length <laughs> of a reel of tape at whatever the lossless <laughs> capture. You know, wow. I, I only know digital, but yeah, at the Mark, that's crazy. Mark Hoppus you know, talked actually, about it in uh, his. Oh, thing. nice. But yeah, he talks about another. The they might be Giants fan. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Mark Hoppus, they might be Giants fan, appears on the gigantic. Uh, they might be Giants documentary. Um, I found out recently, like I didn't, re- I just assumed that flood was recorded to tape, but no, in 1990 flood was recorded digitally. Wow. I was like, damn, they're really, I mean, they might be Giants have always wanted to be on the cutting edge of technology. So they, they are never the guys that are like, I mean, Flans loves his vintage amps and all this shit, but like, you know, they put out the first 
Uh, they put out an album on e-music in 99. Like, they're doing clarity to tape. While They Might Be Giants are like, MP3s of the future, baby. And they were right. Uh-huh. And they were right. You know, tape's gone away. But They Might Be Giants are like, we're putting out Long Tall Weekend on e-music. It's a digital-only album. They were the first wow. major band now, to do that. Now, what's the fidelity of it, though, compared to when people record now, they're recording at 96 kilobits and above. Uh, I mean, that's a good question. I mean, getting to that like is the master of, of it forty is the master of it. 24K? Well, they did. It has nothing to do with the recording of it. They recorded it digitally, and probably at whatever the peak of it was at the time. Yeah, it's just they decided not to release it on CD. Interesting. They decided I see, I see, to yeah. No yeah they made. Uh huh. And it's a weird little in between album. A lot of people even debate if it is a true album, but they consider it a true album, so it is. It's canon because uh, it has some songs that ended up appearing on Mink Car, which did come out on CD uh, the same day as Bleed American, coincidentally, nine eleven. Uh huh. So um, well, it's Bleed a weird American little in between album. Months before nine uh, eleven came out in July, <gasps> I believe July of uh, two thousand one. And that's why Bleed American existed on shelves for a little bit before it got pulled and renamed Jimmy Eat World. Yeah, July 24, 2001. You're right. Why did I think that was a 9-11 too? I think I just well, paired with 9-11 because of the, yeah. the title change. Yeah. Um, but wow. Because then they changed it back to Bleed American, nine, right? Didn't it become self-titled for a minute? Yeah, correct. It was self-titled uh, in November by November of 2001. It was self-titled through mm-hmm. i believe 2014 when they did a repress wow. for record store day and it went back to bleed american <laughs> nice yeah it's always been bleed american to me of course yeah 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 and they even <laughs> on some pressings yeah. uh or on the single pressing of the bleed american single it was salt sweat sugar <laughs> oh yeah <laughs> oh i just clicked there the wikipedia page for bleed american just like for the fuck of it and <laughs> The Authority Song redirects here. For the John Cougar Mellencamp song titled Authority Song, see, <laughs> uh-huh, which is the name of that album. This article is about the 2001 album that was retitled Jimmy Eat World following the September 11th attacks. For the 1994 self-titled album, Jimmy Eat World, right. yeah, parentheses, 1994 album. So, yeah, again, bands like Weezer that put out just a shit ton of yeah. self-titled albums. It's like you're making these, like, you know, Google just like explode. You're like, which one? <laughs> and then everyone just has to call them by a nickname that are widely accepted. You know, yeah. <laughs> Red M. I White didn't, I didn't yeah. know that the Blue album was self titled for like 10 years. <laughs> yeah. I mean, well, you're, I mean, you're a little bit younger than me because when, because I got it when it was new. I mean, they were like the hot shit there. And I, you know, that was one of the game changing albums for me because, well, like Nevermind came out when I was 10. And then Dookie, I was, you know, 12. And then Blue Album, I was 13. And, like, those three basically define my musical taste, like, to now. Like, you got got a punk band, you got a geeky rock band, and you've got uh, fucking just, you know, Nirvana. It's just Nirvana, you know. Uh, So it's, like, really abrasive stuff, really catchy stuff, and uh, punk stuff. And that's, like, basically anything I listened to could be somehow tied to one of those three records. Right. And, and yeah, so then it was later when the Green Elm came out is when they started calling self-titled or debut the Blue Album. You know? Yeah. I, I think people may have been like, oh, yeah, you know, the Blue one. Actually, when I went to the paint store, I brought in uh, the Blue <laughs> Album to get the color on this wall in my this studio. Please. <laughs> 
<laughs> yeah. <laughs> I'm, I'm a Weezer fan. I'm not the Matt Damon type, you know. Oh, yeah. We joke I, that Justin I will is not just Justin's right or black die, or teal. Sure. Although I did love Van Weezer. Van Weezer's terrific. Yeah, I like the um, I like the orchestral one too. What okay, human. One? Yeah, that was great too. Yeah, both these new ones are great. They kind of go in in waves where it's like, here's a couple of good ones. You know, everything will be all right in the end in the white album, and then here's a couple stinkers again, and then here's a couple good ones again. <laughs> it's it's weird. Yeah. I mean, Rivers writes in that scientific way. Ever since he was his soul, his heart was crushed after Pinkerton. <laughs> <laughs> You're gonna have to come on one more time and talk Weezer with Justin because I'm over here like I'm okay. like yeah I really don't like the Black Album and Pinkerton all that much and everything else is really okay with me. Oh God, Pinkerton is fucking. I mean that was another defining moment that album because that came like before I really got into emo like I wouldn't have even called that album emo at the time I heard it when it was new and I'm just like whoa these drums sound different this is cool (laughs) and I liked it I liked it but I didn't know what emo was in 1996 it was more like yeah I mean Cara really went out in you know 99 2000 2001 when we met in 2002 was when I really got into emo I knew what it was but I didn't know Jimmy World really until yeah, I mean, I knew of them, but I didn't really get into them until I met Kara. So she's who I have to thank for that. Um, and yeah, Bleed American first, and then kind of went back to Clarity and Static Prevails. Yeah. Um, honestly, I don't listen to Static Prevails all that much. I don't know. If I want that kind of crunchy emo, I usually go to something else. Sure. Um, I, I know them for the twinkly emo and the big, thick, like... There's you more know. twinkly on Static Prevails than I uh, than I ever give it credit for. Anderson Mason, mm. Anderson Mason, I would say is a track you could go listen to again. Okay. And Caveman is yeah, worth I should listening give another to. shot. Uh, okay, Justin did. I'm a, not saying it's a bad album. Oh yeah, I'm just yeah, saying yeah. like if I'm gonna throw one on, it'll be Futures, Bleed American, or Clarity. Justin did a cover of Caveman, which is lauded at, in the community as one of the worst Jimmy Eat World songs. Only when you like pit it up against things. When you listen to it by oh, okay. itself, yeah. it's terrific. And he did a cover with uh, one yeah, of our okay. listeners, uh, Ben Foot, and um, it's wonderful their cover. And they did the song yeah. justice. So. I, yeah, you know what, I'll go ahead and give it a listen tomorrow. I actually made a best of, I've been just obsessively making best ofs. It was maybe last summer I made a Jimmy World best of, and I'm like, wait, which songs on Static Prevails are good? Yeah. <laughs> I'm like going through, and I could name a couple. Rockstar, um, 17, Anderson Mason, right. Caveman. Those are like exactly. the big ones on there for sure. Yeah, but then I was like, wait, what is, the world is static, what's that one? You know, I'm like, what at Robot Factory? What is that? You know, I'm like, I don't remember. And then I, you know, I'd listen to them and be like, oh, yeah. But, like, the song titles didn't, like, it jammed into my brain like Clarity and Bleed American did. Yeah, totally. Um, Yeah. And Futures, I remember putting that on my Punk News Best Of because that was when I became a staff writer there in 2002. That was the first one to have come out post being a staff writer. Um, 2004 was my first year doing lists, and I think... Did Futures come out in 2004? Uh, 2005. October 2005. 2005, yeah. yeah. So it was my second year of listing. Um, I just want to see what I said about it. Let's see. <laughs> Greg Orb with a zero. I mean, it would say Greg. So let's see where Futures ranked. Well, first, okay, if if you're curious, my number one was Lagwagon Resolve. <laughs> All right. Which is a great record, and I love Derek Plord, their first drummer, and that was like his dedication to him after he died. Uh, overdosed. Number two, Mountain Goat Sunset Tree. Number three, Clap Your Hands Say Yeah, first album. Number four, Sufjan Stevens, Illinois. Number five, Wolf Parade. Uh, apologies, Queen Mary. Six, Architecture in Helsinki. Seven, Slater, Candy of the Woods. Eight, Death Cab for Cutie Plans. 
Uh, nine animal collective feels. Ten against me. Um, where is future? Did it barely squeeze it, it, on? Yeah, hold on. Wait. Mentions. Did this go? Where? Yeah. Did this? Hold on a second. I um. Okay, it's not my biggest disappointment. That that's good. Um, Alkaline Trio Crimson is in there. Eh. Uh, <laughs> I thought. Maybe I got it wrong. Maybe it's October two thousand four. It came out. You motherfucker. We're allowed to swear in here, right? Oh, yeah. Um, okay. My number one, 2004, was Modest Mouse. Good news for people who have bad news. Mock Orange, Colossal, Green Day, American Idiot, of course. Mountain Goats, We Shall All Be Healed. Let's see. Blood Brothers, Elliot Smith, The Killers. Jimmy World Futures came at number 11. Just and outside the I top s- 10. Yeah. And my little blurb here, I didn't write very much about this. I said, we all now know that this is the best mix between the rock of static prevails and the beauty of clarity. That's what I said. There you go. <laughs> nice. Yeah. Yeah. Sure. I want to see what Clarity... I did not review Clarity on uh, Punk News, but... Do you we, saw that Pitchfork uh, redid their review and tried to scrub all mention of their 3.8 that they did in 99? <laughs> I They've done that. Like I think they did that to Neutral Milk Hotel. They've done yeah. a bunch of stuff for, like that where like Pitchfork had just started in 1998, and I think they had originally said Aeroplane was like you know, a four and they're like, what is this weirdo shit? We don't like this. And then like five years later, they're like, we love this. <laughs> okay. Well, okay. So clarity didn't have a review from back in the day. Punk news did start in 99, um, but there was a retro review for the 20th anniversary that Jonathan Galliendo wrote in, um, Galliend, Galliend. Oh, I should look that up. We are Facebook friends wrote in November 19th to 2019 for the 20th anniversary. Gave it a perfect, perfect 10. Of nice. course. Uh, yeah. Does he mention Clarity. table for glasses? <laughs> well, let's see. It, mes- it mentions Susie. Uh, Katayama. Th- he spells it wrong. He put Kayayama. <laughs> it's eh. it's not, there's an extra Y. Oh, my God. Okay, so let's see. Susan Katayama, who plays cello on the album, also wrote string arrangements, whereas they'd largely been developed by Jim Atkins when utilized on Static Prevails. Another major change. Let's see. Uh, no, that has, let's see if table for glasses is specifically mentioned. Like, yeah. How can you not mention the opener? I mean, the opener is all you got to be like. The album kicks off with this really slow, quiet <laughs> yeah. song. <laughs> you really get a nice kick in the ass from that kind of nice, a flex, uh, man. Glockenspiel. Yeah, <laughs> I don't know. Um, but yeah, Jonathan. Um, verify his name before I, you know, Jonathan. Jonathan, and he is it with an H or without? Jonathan. Yeah, Jonathan Gillian. Yes, he reviewed it. Gave it a perfect 10 as he should have. Doesn't look like I commented on it, but, you know, everyone else said, I love this perfect lead-in for Bleed American. <laughs> and someone who has uh, a frosted mini-wheat as their icon said this album saved me <laughs> nice i love a good save frosted from, mini wheat i know yeah it's good cereal you know it's sweet but it's not too sweet get your fiber <laughs> what are we talking about yeah this album's great and it's a good it's a good opening track that i once hated i didn't have the patience for it as a 20 year old but now i i do like it and i listen to all the long songs, and I like the long songs. Oh, I used yeah. to not, but yeah, that's why I like that's why I like Bleed American at the time because it's like there are some longer songs, but there's the big fucking rockers that are just like that single length, you know, three and a half minutes. Oh yeah, done. Totally. You Don't know. bore us. Get so. to the chorus. 
Greg, is there anything <laughs> yeah, exactly. that you want to plug before we wrap this up? Uh, your this your second appearance on Jimmy Eat Pod. Uh, well, yeah, this might be a podcast. Uh, Thursday, you know, if you like, they might be giants. It's uh, comes out usually on Thursdays. I've been doing charity episodes. I had Perry Grip from Nerf Herder on an episode. I had Ellie Gertz uh, from Everything's Love Ellie Gertz podcast. Oh, that's yep. so cool. Her episode will be free soon. I'm doing these charity episodes for my student. Um, I've raised over uh, $7,000 so far I discovered far Allie when she things. did uh, Fire Talk with me. It was right after I had <laughs> – I think I had discovered Twin Peaks at the same time she did. Mm-hmm. And so yeah. I was watching essentially with her. I think I finished it before they finished the podcast. Um, and then yeah. they did yeah. – I think they did all of the return except the finale. <laughs> and I kept getting huh. on her and her co-host about like, hey, huh. you guys going to like – finish or <laughs> well, <laughs> well so yeah her 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 big podcast that made her popular was everything's coming up simpsons and then they did one of a follow-up called round springfield which was more kind of tangentially related to the simpsons and a lot of really good, great guests and they're actually capping it off the finale is with matt graining nice. uh, a super big episode like the you know they've been acknowledged by pretty much all the writers and stuff like they got you know she made money off of it. And coincidentally, Nerf Herder, the funny thing, Perry Grip from Nerf Herder, he wrote a song called Ellie Gertz, and that's how I became aware of her in 2015. And then she wrote a song back to them, and it's funny, they're both on these separate episodes and they talk about each other. It's pretty cool. That's cool. But I also have episodes with them, former They Might Be Giants members, Brian Doherty and Tony Maimonet. I'm about to record one with their current bassist, Danny Weinkoff. Uh, and then I have one with Mike Park of Asian Man Records. I have one with Justin McElroy of My Brother, My Brother, and Me. Um, those are the ones I've secured so far. So those charity episodes there, if you're a patron. Um, Sick. Or you can just buy them off the band camp, and then a month later I release them for free. So um, the Perry Grip one is free. So go check that out. He's hilarious. Rain and tacos, all that good stuff. He makes his money off of children liking his silly videos that's so funny so th- this was, yeah this might be a podcast yeah and by the time this comes out i will have a new episode of my other podcast best midwestern on the longer running less successful podcast but if you like midwestern music uh you know there's a lot of good shit there we've been doing a state-by-state project that's taken a couple of years <laughs> and we're almost done the only thing left is nebraska but this episode that just came out was part two of the illinois so part one we go all the way back to music of uh, you know, Native Boy. American people, <laughs> oh, okay. all the way back to Fallout Boy. Hey. Now, hey, I came up in the same circles as those guys. My, right. I never played with them, but I played with the Plain White Tees. I shared a bill with the Plain White Tees a couple of times. Anyway, um, yeah, so like blues, jazz, uh, rock, you know, we get all through everything. You know, we talk a lot about punk. We are a punk news podcast. Uh, and on this recent one, we do a little bit of um, it's more modern stuff on this recent one. So you will have both episodes on Illinois and every other Midwest state. All yeah, nine. This will be the tenth one. Nebraska is the eleventh one. We will record that over the summer. So that's best Midwestern. That's also on the Punk News Podcast Network. So I think if you just search Punk News, you'll find both my things. Um, yeah, listen to my bands, Outdoor Valor and Doppelpopolis. We're both gonna put out records. Uh, soon, you know, post-COVID kind of just built up songs just, you know, oozing out of our pores. So that's awesome. all of the stuff. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Greg, thank you for you know. <laughs> for your time. Hopefully by this time next week when the episode comes out, you will have a brand new baby girl wishing you all the best. It's possible. Yeah. <laughs> she could come. She, you know, if she comes early, she will be healthy. That's what we have been told. So, you know, July 3rd is the due date, but... uh 
the doctor at her last ultrasound literally said, you know, if she, you know, if she's you know she's big fully enough, cooked, she's fully cooked. She's heading for the exit. You know, it could be any day now. So I'm cramming in a ton of podcast recordings and then uh, and then doing nothing for July. But uh, you know, do uh, dad stuff. Dad's and so hard. when when they both happen to be sleeping, you know, come and record music. But no podcasts. <laughs> No, no podcast. No podcast. Nope. <laughs> nope. Sick. <laughs> Which is going to be really weird. <laughs> <laughs> You're not going to remember how to do it. <laughs> yeah. I know. Be like, I'm talking to this microphone. Why isn't anyone talking back? I'll just come down and just blather and just like a solo episode that makes no sense. <laughs> <laughs> All yeah. right. Before we sign off, do you remember our salutation? Oh, my God. It's oh, okay. I'll bet, uh, if I, I'll bet if I cue you, you might remember. So everybody, be sure you tune into Greg's podcast. Uh, this might be a podcast when I appear on the Mickey Mouse Clubhouse episode. But until then, it's a fun one. <laughs> continue to be excellent to each other. Yes. And then 69. you say, and party on, dudes. <laughs> yeah. Oh yeah, party on, dudes. I said sixty nine. I said I'm breaking them all. Sixty nine, dudes. But yeah. Socrates. I don't know. I should say <laughs> random things from, uh, yeah. Okay. Uh, be excellent to each other and party on and all that stuff and be radical and all those cool nineties words. <laughs> <laughs> Perfect.